Yes, hello race fans and welcome back to Motorsport 101. This will be episode 68 and this is a bit of a special one because it's the end, the grand final has been had, the final showdown, the final duel in the desert has occurred. We have a new Formula 1 world champion. Half the world thinks he doesn't deserve it and that he's a cheater and that he's a prick and he's German. <laughs> one of those things is true. The other half is like, shut the fuck up to the other half and stuff. So basically, it's been the story of 2016. Some good stuff happens, then it's immediately shat on. So we have the only hot takes that matter, the best coverage of the race, because you can't trust Fleet Street to do it. They're still going on about how Mercedes is going to suspend Lewis Hamilton. We're going to cut through all of that, all of the jargon, all of the bollocks, and we're going to bring you the best of our thoughts from the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and the F1 title decider. And there's some other stuff to talk about as well, because let's be honest, this is a show where we're like, well, we don't have much to talk about tonight. Three hours later, we're still talking. That's what Motorsport 101 is all about for you. And tonight is another Dreyless endeavour. Unfortunately, he is in bookie hell at the moment once more. However, um, it's already up. We're recording this Monday evening, so it's Monday 28th November. Uh, a video went up at 4 o'clock today, 4 p.m. today, on the Motorsport 101 YouTube channel. Uh, so it will be up by the time this podcast goes live and you are listening to it right now. Go check out that. That is Dre's thoughts on that final race in Abu Dhabi and everything else. So his hot takes are on deck. It's time to get ours down as well. We've decided to go all smack down up in here in lieu of no Dre tonight. It's a four-man booth up in your ears. We are spoiling you rotten tonight. It is me, regular Adam Johnson, alongside fellow regular Ryan King. Hello. How just your boys become a man. How do you feel? Oh, God. It, it literally took a while for it to sink in. I literally had to like in sink until the next morning when I woke up and realized that Nico Rosford was world champion. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't some like conspiracy. Nico <laughs> Rosford is actually world champion. Yeah, it had that sort of surreal thing of like, oh, this has actually happened now. And I wonder, we'll probably get into it more so, we, we were just having it drummed into our heads time and time again of like, there's only one world champion on the Mercedes team, and now it's like, no, there isn't. There is actually two now. So, and it was just such a, a delightful thing. So, uh, such a delightful thing to witness, really. And we'll get into that more in a sec. Now, the other two men on our panel tonight, if we've already got the, I don't know, the Moro, Ronaldo, and the JBL, I'll let you figure out who's who. We then have the... Um, well, he's in the Tom Phillips role tonight. He seems to resent this, but I like Tom Phillips on NXT. It is Bike Live's own Lewis Sutterby back on Motorsport 101. Welcome back. We have missed you around here. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. I have to say, being compared to Tom Phillips, as compliments go, that's right up there, I've got to say. That's not... Yeah, that's yeah, not bad. Uh, Especially yeah, after I, I just very much enjoyed my time with Dre on NXT. Uh, sorry, Bike Live. Corey <laughs> <laughs> Draves. Um, come on, was no one else looking for that pun? No, no, I wasn't. <laughs> King's just like, no, I have standards, motherfucker. <laughs> I was not reaching for that. And anyway, our final uh, commentator tonight, hoping to not be the David Otunga of this panel, but it's impossible for him to be that because he's a charismatic motherfucker. It is Super GT World's RJ O'Connell returning once again. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. I just made myself a cup of coffee so I don't pull a Mike Francesa and fall asleep twice during the middle of this recording. <laughs> so he is David <laughs> So what you're saying is he won't say much and then out of no he'll get sandbagged by everyone else and then out of nowhere he'll come up with like line of the year. I mean involving yeah, that, chins. That, this this sounds about right. I, I do I also am looking at several thousand dollars worth of student debt, which is pretty much the Harvard experience. Oh man. <laughs> the Harvard experience. Oh yeah, they don't tell you that in the uh, prospectus. 
Oh, my days. So, yeah, I'm. you've just reminded me, I'm two years out of uni now, and I'm like, that, that debt's still sitting over there. Someone's going to want that back. And never mind. It's I'll- just sitting there. It's just sitting there, just kind of just lapping around <laughs> at like uh, at like uh, practice pace, just trying to it's, warm it's, up the tires. It's like, Roman, it's like Roman Reigns in the Royal Rumble. He's having a nap backstage, um, <laughs> waiting to come down and bring some Superman punches up in here. But anyway, enough crap wrestling metaphors for you. Uh, I do sometimes feel sorry if, if there's anyone who listens to the podcast who doesn't also watch wrestling. They just have no idea. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, you at least know about wrestling, don't you? Hmm. Barely any. <laughs> he knows about coffee. But um, anyway, let's get into the, the important stuff, shall we? Which is where you can find us around the internet. I've already uh, explained that Dre has a brand new video up, uh, a brand new vlog up for you discussing the Abu Dhabi season finale. It's quite nostalgic for me. I don't know if you, you, know, you guys must have seen it as well. Hmm. It kind of reminded me of the old Dre TV days back on Harrison 101, where he'd just talk about a thing for like 20 minutes on his own. <laughs> yes. Um, Really, really good stuff, as usual. Always on the money. Um, don't tell him we said that. Um, his ego's big enough. It barely fits in the recording room these days. But if you want to see that video, it is on youtube.com forward slash Motorsport 101, our official YouTube channel, which is still doing pretty damn decent these days. Um, we are obviously the main homes for this, uh, the podcast itself are on SoundCloud uh, at Motorsport, um, soundcloud.com forward slash Motorsport 101. You can also find and subscribe to us on iTunes. So if you are using Apple devices, iTunes, sync us, subscribe to us on there. You will get episodes delivered to you as soon as they drop, normally Fridays at 5 p.m. UK time. We are also, of course, on the social medias uh, at fa- uh, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101 and on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash you think you can guess it, can't you? But no, someone's already had just Motorsport 101 on Twitter, so it is Motorsport underscore 101 over there, just to keep you on your toes. And if you really do like this podcast quite a lot, I've heard some people do, um, you can support us via Patreon. We do have a Patreon page. Unsurprisingly, that is also patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Uh, we have various perks and goodies over there, including some rather swish T-shirts that have just been sipped, uh, shipped out to... Um, certain patreon backers now you get shout outs on the show and you know various early access to future product you also get early access to the podcast when it it will drop a good one to two days earlier for you guys so a lot of cool stuff over there um obviously we'd encourage if you're feeling that particularly generous to help us out every little bit helps um but if you if you're in no position to do so that's absolutely fine we understand where you're coming from and know that just sharing the thing around sharing links to our, our show talking about the show telling your mates about it all does just as much for it so we appreciate your support either way thank you so much for locking in once again let's dive straight into keeping it 101 got a huge amount to talk about in keeping it 101 because of that big main event lurking just over there so but we do have some uh, additional bits and bobs i'm going to start off here by basically we have lewis in the building his uh day radio job is talking about motorbikes and being very good at such so motorbike news go some things have been happening i know it's there's been a lot of testing in moto gp and the MotoGP bikes have been beaten by a world superbike. Yes, so as we spoke, I'm a as bit we confused about by this pre-show. It's hey, welcome back, Lewis. Yes. Now talk some bikes. Um, <laughs> now, basically, <laughs> the, the story here is uh, MotoGP and World Superbikes were testing together uh, last week at Jerez. Now, this wasn't everybody. Mark Marquez wasn't there. Valentino Rossi wasn't there. 
um, but a number of the sort of midfield and back bikes were there, along with Jonathan Ray, the World Superbike champion. And Jonathan Ray went out and beat the lot of them uh, at this preseason test. World Superbikes, which is almost treated as the sort of ugly sister um, next to MotoGP, um, a sort of the poor second relation to it. Uh, yeah, Jonathan Ray was quicker than any MotoGP rider who turned up at this test. Not only did he do that, but Jonathan Ray set a 138.7 uh, around Jerez, which was faster than Valentino Rossi's pole position time at the same circuit this year. So Jonathan Ray would have, Jonathan Ray would have been on pole for the MotoGP race, hypothetically, with that lap time that- on the Kawasaki World Superbike for 2017, which is kind of freakish. Um, you know, this guy is, is astonishingly good. He's now a two-time World Superbike champion, even though he kind of had to play second fiddle to Chaz Davies in the second half of this year, uh, who went on a tear in the second half of the season, won uh, nine out of the last 10 races uh, and finished still third in the points. And it was sort of touted as the favourite for 2017. Jonathan Ray has already seen to that. Uh, by topping the <laughs> test of beating every MotoGP rider um, that shared the circuit with him. Um, what Kawasaki have kind of done for next season is they've taken what was the Kawasaki ZX-10R for 2016 and pretty much given it steroids uh, for next year because the rules were sort of changed uh, at the start of this season where for next year teams can almost run specific homologations of their superbikes for the World Superbike Championship. Um, so rather than the ZX-10R, we now have the zx 10 R um, for next season, um, which is almost like a trick version of the bike they've had this season. So it's it's you know it's been refined um, basically for the circuits, for the roads of um, World Superbikes next season. And Jonathan Ray is already looking pretty ominous on it. Um, so if that doesn't whip your appetite for World Superbikes, I don't know what will. It starts in February next season, which is quite handy for all of us bike fans who don't have to wait until the end of March or April to start watching some motorbike racing. World Superbikes get underway at Phillip Island on the last weekend of February next year. Um, so you won't have too long to wait for that. Um, but Johnny Ray's not the only freak out there at the moment testing motorcycles <laughs> because in MotoGP, they tested immediately following nice the link, final nice Grand Prix of the season. See, I'm a true pro. Uh, they, they followed the <laughs> MotoGP race at Valencia with a two-day test at the same circuit Ricardo Tomo in Valencia um, and the focus was all on the riders changing teams because you know the great subplot really for MotoGP next season is the changes in rider team combinations uh, Jorge Lorenzo is departing Yamaha to go to Ducati uh, Andrea Iannone is leaving Ducati to go to Suzuki they are losing Maverick Vinales who is going to Yamaha to replace Lorenzo um, we also have Sam Lowe's who's coming in at Aprilia uh, we have KTM who are coming in as a new team with Bradley Smith and Paul Spargo so there are so many new variables for next season but Maverick Vinales has already stolen the show as I mentioned he's replacing Jorge Lorenzo at Yamaha and partnering with Valentino Rossi and anyone who followed MotoGP around the summer when this move was announced that that Maverick was going to the Movistar Yamaha team the the narrative was almost a sort of oh well he can be Valentino Rossi's protege for two years and then he could take over when Valentino retires he can almost be the you know the the the, the junior rider and Valentino could show him the way for two years yeah about that about that (laughs) on the first day of preseason testing at Valencia so his first day riding a Yamaha M1 Maverick Munales was fastest of the lot, um, ahead of Valentino Rossi by two hundredths of a second. Um, Maverick Munales then proceeded to do a 129.9 on the 
uh, Wednesday, the second day of this test, which was quicker than Valentino Rossi went in qualifying at that same circuit three days earlier. Um, and seven tenths quicker than Valentino Rossi on that same day in history at the test and fastest of all. So Maverick Vinales is in no mood to play second fiddle uh, to Valentino Rossi next season. If anything, he's already a threat, um, which is kind of funny given what has been discussed on this show and what we've discussed on, on Bite Live in that, you know, Valentino Rossi is often your friend until you start beating him. So that was a kind of short-lived friendship uh, over at Movistar Yamaha um, between Maverick and Valentino because Maverick is already starting to give Valentino a few headaches. I mean, there are there are one or two sort of caveats to all this in that you know Maverick was just basically sent out there on softer tires to learn the bike and you know, get to get used to the Yamaha, whereas Valentino was doing the testing, if you like, in, in quotation marks. He was sort of doing the experimental work. But for Maverick Vinales to do a, la- a lap time of a 129.9, which you know nobody had gone as fast as that on a MotoGP bike at Valencia until qualifying at that same event uh, a few days earlier is pretty freakish um, and it kind of took the sort of shine away from the story we we're going to be talking about which was Jorge Lorenzo making a pretty fast start at Ducati Maverick has already upstaged him within two days of replacing him wow yeah that's a pretty good start and I had a, I had, funnily enough I had a sneakily sneaky suspicion that he might just do that because he's hmm. been on such good form this year on the Suzuki. He's the younger guy. He's coming in with a lot of momentum. Um, I don't know. It's, I mean, if Lorenzo's had the edge on Rossi, I don't know. I just had a sneaky feeling that Vinales would come in there with a lot of bluster. And I think that's going to be the interesting dynamic of next year. Rossi does not, like, like you said, Rossi's your friend. He's your bestest friend in the whole wide world until you start beating him. Mavignales has similarities to Lorenzo as well. I think he, that, that bike will suit him perfectly. <laughs> and to be fair, the Suzuki, I, I've described the Suzuki this season as almost a Yamaha light uh, in terms of the way it handles. It's got such a good chassis. It's pretty much an all-round package. It's not necessarily the best in any area, but it's very, very good in all of them. Um, so Maverick's not really got to make that bigger transition from the Suzuki to the Yamaha uh, for next season so I think it's going to suit him perfectly Uh, and yeah you're right Valentino Rossi is going to find you know a a lot of people kind of assumed that with Lorenzo out of the way that was Valentino Rossi's biggest obstacle to a 10th world championship removed from his previous path I'm not so sure about that. I think he's got just a big an obstacle in the way with Maverick next season. Um, and Maverick's got a habit of doing this. I mean, I, I, I was at Silverstone this year when he won his first Grand Prix there, and it felt like an arrival. It, you know, it felt like a I was there moment. This was the day where, you know, the next great superstar of MotoGP finally arrived. Um, and, he, you know, he just he has a habit of doing this. He won his fourth ever 125 race, um, did Maverick Mijalis, at the age of 16, um, beating Nico Tirol, who was, you know, the experienced guy in that class who went on to win the title. Maverick beat him in a straight fight on the last lap in his fourth ever race and then he moved up to Moto2 and won his second ever race in that class um, so Maverick is a fast learner if nothing else and he's proven that already he is already on the pace at Yamaha and you know he's already in a position where he can challenge Mark Marquez and the rest for victory in Qatar next season and it's good for the sport because we discussed this on Bike Live last week where Mark Marquez is almost in a position where he could dominate this sport for the next decade or so um, yet we could actually have a scenario where the rivalry for the ages for the next decade is Mark Marquez on a Honda versus Maverick Vinales on a Yamaha. And that's a battle I would pay good money to watch. Well, oh, I tell you goodness. what, that's, yeah, that's, that's whetted our appetites over here, man. That's good stuff. <laughs> I mean, like history, like it's, it's MotoGP. We, we've been speaking and we've speculated often about how, what on earth is MotoGP going to do if and when Valentino Rossi retires, mm. you know, like with that whole, that void is going to be filled. It's going to be, a gaping one. It's going to be difficult for the sport, but you can't question they have the young talent and the charismatic characters to, to 
still hold the series up in a sort of IndyCar kind of way. I get the feeling it'll be a similar sort of dynamic, and those guys are rocket fast. So Vinales versus Marquez, the battle, the the main event for MotoGP Mania. Yeah, I think we twenty twenty or so. Season, yeah, if, if not twenty seventeen. I mean, we have. I think we have a genuine possibility of a four way title fight next season between. Ryan How and, much is between... video pass next season? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, well it, it's it's excessive. What I what I would say though, on the topic of the video pass, without wanting to um, plug Dawn too much, is um, <laughs> I, I took advantage of their Black Friday offer where you could get it for a pound a month um, over the course of the winter, which obviously gives you back the backlog of races from pretty much all time so um, hats off to them on that um, but what you've got next season is you've got Maverick Vinales and Valentino Rossi on Yamahas Mark Marquez on a Honda and Jorge Lorenzo on a fast improving Ducati um, and you could make a legitimate case for any of those four riders winning the world championship and I think it's it's great for the sport that the, the top riders are spread out on different makes mm. of motorcycles I think it's going to keep them all competitive and it's yeah it's going to give us a great title fight next season I absolutely cannot wait for it to get going it's just a shame we've got to wait until the start oh. of February for testing to resume again yeah, that's a bit of a shame. Same with it's a kind of a similar situation to IndyCar in that way as well. Um, so that's, I mean, you've you've you should be a good promo guy for the series because I'm now hyped for MotoGP next year. Considering I'm probably taking a sabbatical from NASCAR next year, <laughs> maybe I'll see how I feel when Daytona rolls around. But if I'm taking a sabbatical, there's several other series I'm going to be paying more attention to. I did say at the time Super GT would be one. So RJ, you're up. Um, MotoGP may have to be in the other I have been trying to pay attention to it as much as possible this year for the podcast obviously and it's not been like put it this way often I've been more oh god I've got to watch the F1 for the podcast rather than that for the MotoGP like I watched the Valencia race even though the championship was decided and everything mm. and I was like I was enjoying it I was like this is good well, stuff well, and it's only when set I, to when I first started watching motorsport I was a Formula <laughs> 1 fan you know, I, I started watching this this stuff in, in sort of 96, 97 when Damon Hill won his championship and I didn't really start watching MotoGP regularly until sort of 2011 I mean I'd watched it on and off before then but you know by this point I'm at a stage where if Formula 1 and MotoGP are on simultaneously I'll watch MotoGP 10 times out of 10 and that's not something I never thought I'd say hmm uh, it's been it's been seriously good and it's looking better for next year as well. So mm. a lot of good stuff coming out of the test as well. Some interesting storylines to be written. Storylines that are actually being written on the track and aren't being fabricated. How wonderful. We're going to talk more about that in a bit. But there was some other championships being decided out in Abu Dhabi. They were, of course, the GP2 and GP3 World Championships. Now, I'm not very good at keeping up with the feeder <laughs> series of Formula 1. I probably should do better because what, I, what little I have seen, I think it was some GP2 racing I saw earlier this year from... I want to say it was Monza or something when I was around Dre's. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I did see it was some good racing out there. I enjoyed it, but I'm not very good at following up. So, guys, over to you. What was the what was the stat with the GP2 and GP3 title showdowns? Uh, oh, King, uh, that's us. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> I'm well, taking out to the apron now. Well, I think the best place to start would be the bottom of the <laughs> undercard with GP3 and how Charles Leclerc, the Ferrari young driver, uh, clinched the championship after I think uh, him and uh, Alex Albon uh, kind of came together, and I it think was Le- a- Leclerc crashed like very early on in the feature race, yeah. giving Alexander Albon an opportunity to take the title to the final sprint race, and the next day. Provided he didn't do anything like crash into Jack Aitken in a battle for the lead, which is exactly what happened, giving Charles Leclerc the title in the feature race with a race in hand. Yes, with a race in hand. Uh, the feature race wasn't won by none of the title contenders. It was won by uh, McLaren Young driver Nick DeFries. 
and Jake Hughes did pick up the sprint race win, and I'm trying to find it right now. It's a it's a <laughs> I picture. Was gonna say, I was like, Nick DeVries won the thing. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I was waiting for RJ to interject. I'm moving well, on. Yeah. Yes, I'm looking for it. It's a it's a picture after the race, and it's pretty sad. It's Alex Albon after the wreck in the feature race, and he's just got his he's still got his helmet on, his Hans device, and he's just slumped over this table, and he he looks just just the worst. <laughs> Poor guy. And I mean, state of your driver, mate. And listen, although in fairness, second place for Albon in that championship was uh, that's no that's not bad at all, considering Leclerc was the overwhelming title favorite to go in yeah. at the start of the season. And Albon was always hanging with him in European F3 last season. And the thing to remember about Alex Albon is, of course, he's probably on the fast track to become the first F1 driver from Thailand since Prince Bira way back in the 50s. And I would say that Alex Albon is a bit faster than the old princess I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it's interesting because nowadays GP3 tends to be where most of the Formula One talent comes from because that's where Botas came from, Kvyat. Uh, who else am I forgetting? Who also came Ocon. from GP3? Esteban but, Gutierrez was the inaugural yes. champion. Esteban Gucci. Ocon was last year's champion. We have four <laughs> of the six GP2 champions of history, four of the seven now, that are already in Formula One and in some cases already podium finishers or at least have the potential to be that. Yeah, where GP3s tend to where you see the really raw, fast guys and it's it creates some exciting races. Sometimes GP3 can be a bit stale, but exciting races nonetheless. Charles Leclerc made it a little bit less exciting, but it's always incredible to see someone, you know, dominate a series that's this competitive. Right. Mm. And Charles was, of course, the the main karting rival of a certain Mats Verstappen, who was who's done some things in F1, I guess. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, done some he's things. Done some shit. Yeah. <laughs> I do like his post-race dedication to a good friend who left him one year of court. That was, of course, his mentor in karting, the late Jules Bianchi. Yeah, Oof. yeah, that was. I saw the post from Leclerc about that. That was that was pretty emotional stuff. That was that was really cool to see. Now, <clears throat> uh, you're going to get onto GP2 in a minute. This might be a good way to tie in though, because we've got a mailbox question. We like to sprinkle the mailbox questions in sometimes if they're appropriate to what we're talking about beforehand. We got one from Matthew Lindus, a uh, listener from Australia. Um, he has a question about a few guys uh, in the feeder series. We've mentioned one of them. Uh, do you, like myself, believe that 2017 is a make-or-break year for Nick DeVries, or Nick DeVries, Antonio Giovanizzi, Nick Casdi, and Betzke Visser? Mm. Mm. I, 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 I was almost there. That was impressive. Yeah, I wouldn't say... <laughs> I wouldn't say it's make or break for Cassidy or Fries, but it's definitely for, for Visser because, again, she... It's a, she hasn't lived up to the expectations where she's kind of been settling for being kind of mediocre in Formula and V8, it, which is a series <laughs> that is kind of settling for becoming um, more mediocre in itself. And that's obviously not in her power as well. I mean, obviously, for for someone like her to be competing in any form at that high of a level of single seater competition is certainly commendable. Um, but you do have to wonder if maybe Sophia Flores, who is running an ADACF four out in Germany, is going to just immediately zoom right past her on the prospects of being Formula One's next female driver. 
And at the way it's trending, it certainly is. I think Cassidy's in a good spot. Obviously, he has a GT500 gig in Super GT. That's a full-on factory drive. And he's tested in Super Formula um, at Suzuka this past week and done pretty well. Like, he's already trying to line up a full-time drive in that series for next year because he's already proven that he's deserving of more than just just European or all Japan F3. Um, and as for Antonio Giovinazzi next season, well, we'll get to him in a second, but it's tough to see where his future goes, especially after he, of course, failed to capture the GP2 Series championship. That would go to France's fastest Pokemon, Pierre Gasly. nicknames <laughs> <laughs> are just uh, the best. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, I think we forgot to mention Nick DeFreeze, where... It he is a McLaren young driver, but being in that young driver program, I would say the opportunities are not wide open. Yeah, sometimes you end up like Soffel Van Dorn, and sometimes you end up like Oliver Turvey or Gary Paffett. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just or sometimes you end up like Kevin Magnuson. Oh, geez. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you're still in the sport. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> You're sort of around. <laughs> GP2. GP2 proved that you can actually have a pretty decent race at Abu Dhabi in single seaters with a lot of downforce because they just prove time and time again they don't give a fuck. Let's start off by talking about color commentator Davide Valsecchi, a man who Sky Sports should open the bank for with like a billion dollar contract tomorrow. <laughs> Well, we've got a mailbag uh, question later on about how we'd freshen up the Sky Sports team. I'm like, well, we've just pitched one there. Davide Valsecchi, hire yes, this he man has, now. He has the most delightful, the thickest, and the most like animated Italian accent, and it's so it's so fucking entertaining. And he was just getting more and more into the feature race <laughs> as the race went on. It's great. Yeah, I mean, Valsecchi is probably my favorite of the rotating color commentaries. I mean, coming color commentators they normally have because it's, it's normally him, Karun Shandok. I think sometimes they get some other guys in there as well, but Valsecchi is always my favorite color commentator. <laughs> I take back everything bad I ever said about his GP2 title reign. <laughs> <laughs> it's all going away now. Right. Well, got away. We, we had a we had a couple of GP two races. We had Pierre Gasly and Antonio Giovinazzi, basically the two realistic title contenders going into the final weekend of the season. Gasly wins pole for the feature race and pretty much walks it for the most part. While Giovinazzi has a, I guess you could say he kind of held his position on sits on the grid, which he still had a chance to win the championship if he won the fe- the sprint race and took fastest lap, which ultimately did not happen as Alex Lynn took the final win of the season, giving Pierre Gasly the GP2 Series title for 2016 and probably not an F1 drive to come after it. Yeah, from, from what <laughs> I saw... As he's now becoming race, a story of these series. From what I saw of the sprint race, essentially Giovinazzi got what Fernando Alonso fans would call the Petrov treatment. <laughs> yes. He just got stuck in a position which was nowhere near enough and couldn't go anywhere. Yeah, because that, that kind of what happens in some of the sprint races because it's it's a kind of half-reverse grid where all the points finishers are reversed. So the higher you finish, the further you're stuck behind the slower cars. And some, some drivers really thrive in that situation and some other drivers just don't. 
goodness. Um, Gasly wins the title in his second full season, but it's but with uh, Toro Rosso already having signed Carlos Sainz and Pierre Gasly for 2017. Uh, Gasly not Kvyat. Really, uh, <laughs> signed Kvyat, not Gasly. Signed, oh yeah, <laughs> shit! <laughs> Damn it! I, even I, I, you it, were ex- even you were like subconsciously thinking, yeah, Gasly's gonna be in F one next year. Yeah, we were all thinking that at one point. <laughs> if like, I just the close enti- my eyes and say it enough times, it will happen, right? <laughs> you don't understand. Like this entire summer was a race from Kvyat and Gasly to see who could lose that Toro Rosso seat more. <laughs> <laughs> It was a race to the bottom. <laughs> right. And it turns out that Gasly is not getting that Toro Rosso drive. Danny Kofiad is staying with the team another year. And what that means is that Red Bull is going to have to find something else to do for him. The latest yep. rumor from uh, from Japanese motorsport insider Nicola Dura of Formula Nippon.fr is that Pierre Gasly is probably going to be shipped over to Super Formula, where Red Bull is interested in cracking open the Japanese motorsport sponsorship market. Where so rumors- he'll basically be doing the Van Dorn route. Right, basically. And Red Bull's involvement may also stretch to funding a GT500 team in Super GT as well. Which Hype team? Train. Oh my goodness. Will it be a second Nismo team? Will it be... Perhaps Mugen returning to the series? Will it be somebody else that we haven't even thought of? Who knows? But that's looking like the best option for Gasly. And to be honest, racing in a series of full professionals, that's not bad at all. Like Super yeah. Formula is fantastic. It's sometimes it's often more entertaining than F1. <laughs> um, but take nothing away from what Giovinazzi did this season. Like he came closer than any rookie has in the Pirelli area since 2011. To becoming the first rookie champion since Nico Hulkenberg in 09. He was the first driver to win both races in a weekend when he did it at Baku since Davide Valsecchi did it in 2012. Um, he had more he had more wins on the season than Gasly. Um, he came in as a rookie fresh out of Formula 3, kind of stuck around in F3 a bit too long. But once he once he got the jump up to GP2, he showed that, yeah, he was ready for the step up. And now the question is, where does he head to next? We're thinking he has a Rolex 24 drive lined up at Daytona with uh, Jagonia IM KFC backing it. Um, Mercedes kind of want him in a DTM car. He's driven for Extreme Speed Motorsports in the World Endurance Championship this year. Um, but if if I was Manor Motorsports boss, so I know this isn't going to happen, I would probably have him as my rookie driver for 2017. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, we're in a situation where we have the sprint race winner, Alex Lynn, losing his seat at Williams to Lance Stroll, which is completely fair. Like, I would say Stroll is a better driver than Lynn, but Lynn is c- going to completely give up on single seaters and heading the sports cars next year. It's uh, it, it's something it's. Just a quick rundown. Gasly finishes as champion of GP2, 219 points to Giovinazzi at 211. Sergei Sorokin finishing a distant third, tied at 159 with Raffaele Marcello, who is probably going to be heading to DTM at this point, since he's now lost out on being Italy's next hope for any F1 driver whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sorokin, on the other hand, I think he might be staying in GP2 next year, along with a development role at Renault. Yes, and, yeah, and we know three new drivers will be debuting in GP2 next year. 
Of course, your reigning champion Charles Leclerc from GP3 is moving up to Prima Power Team. He has a new teammate and fellow Ferrari Driver Academy member Antonio Fuco and Sergio Sete Camera. Um, yep. Pot, current, possibly former Red Bull Junior Team member from Brazil is moving up to MP Motorsport. We say current, Ooh. possibly former, because there is rumors that maybe Camara will sever his ties with the Red Bull Junior Team and rely on his sponsors from Brazil to get him that seat. This is all, yeah. inst- it's all very interesting stuff, I've got to say. Yeah, a uh, set of camera. I think most recently we talked about him on Motorsport 101 when he got a podium finish at the Macau Grand Prix. Yeah, he is he is very much a raw prospect. It's just fairly fresh out of karting, won a lot of karting titles in Brazil, uh, very quick and single seaters on his day, but his European F3 results really aren't there. Though maybe this could kind of be a case of, okay, once he steps up into a faster car, maybe he does well, because we've seen with guys like Carlos Sainz Jr. that have gotten better as they've gotten into faster equipment. Yes. And that is basically all that there is in GP2 in 2016. It is often always entertaining when F1 often fails to be. Um, Go watch (laughs) it in the offseason. It is fun. It's a good time. You'll enjoy it. Probably unless you're uh, probably unless you're a fan of like Philippaz Armand or, or uh, Nabil Jeffrey, <laughs> who are just eternally living on Struggle Street. Poor Sarah yeah. Hayden. I felt really bad for her when Nabil Jeffrey broke down in the feature race. No. Yeah, the, the little Malaysian driver that could. <laughs> Well, there's your wrap-up of the GP2 and GP3 action from the weekend. Great job, guys, because I'd have just been like, um, Giovanizzi did a, th- a Gasly, yeah, him, <laughs> <laughs> that guy. RJ's banged on about him, he's just doing a thing. So there's your GP2 and GP3 roundup, and I think that'll close the book on keeping it 101 because, uh, guys, it's a bit like the match before the Royal Rumble. Our main event's looming. I think it's time Damn. to tackle it head-on. It's time to it's deal time. with the F1. It's time for our main event. So, a Formula One race happened at the weekend. You may have heard about it. It was also a championship decider. And for the first time in quite possibly recent memory, uh, well, not since 2012. Yeah, or 2014, I would definitely say we had a, best finale since 2012. Oh, yeah. And this one arguably was even better because this was still in the balance right until the very final corner of the very final lap. Suck it, NASCAR. We don't need no playoffs. And it's not been very often. Like, it's amazing to say that. You're like... <laughs> Wait, Formula One has produced the closest championship battle without playoffs than NASCAR did. Really? But that happened. Like, this was a weird... This was... From top to bottom, we basically had two stories from this weekend. The race itself and the race, how it was written in the narrative. Mm. The narrative is something we have talked about before in here. The narrative reads thus. Lewis Hamilton is Jesus' own gift upon unto us, who has now gifted us a second prophet. His name doth Max Verstappen. Nico Rosberg is a chancer, cheater, whiner, bitch, German. <laughs> One of those things is true. Um, who just happened to be in a Mercedes drive as well, but is not fit to shine Lewis Hamilton's boots. How the hell is he leading a championship? How the hell has he now won a championship? What the fuck? This doesn't deserve it. So that's a load of bollocks, and we'll get to that more in a minute. 
But the race itself, once you strip everything else aside, and I think, to be honest with you, I was in quite an enjoyable situation of not really... I mean, I was invested. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I was on Team Nico for this one because I think I was just mm. so sick of the, the bullshit being spouted by, uh, by the narrative, as we're just going to call it now, the narrative TM. Um, I kind of was like, no, you know what? I want Nico to actually do this just to, like, shut everyone up. So uh, I was firmly on Team Nico for this one. Uh, Abu Dhabi is kind of like Sonoma for the IndyCar finale. Not a very good actual racetrack for racing. But then again, it's dirty air, guys. David Coulthard was like, yeah, you're getting what you wanted next year. Bigger tyres and more dirty air. Well, he didn't actually say that, but that's me <laughs> paraphrasing. So that's going to be fun. Enjoy next year when even DRS can't save you. But in spite of all this, Abu Dhabi produced a very, very interesting race, a very engaging one. A, a real heart pounder. This, like I say, this was one that went to the very last corner at the very last lap. We finally got the showdown that we've wanted since these two, since Mercedes became the overpowered OP of the hybrid era. This was the battle we basically were denied in 2014. Uh, it never really got started. And of course, 2015, Nico was out of the game before the final round. So we finally got that head to head. And Lewis Hamilton wins the battle. Rosberg wins the war. King, you've said it already. Your boy's become a man. He and yes. <laughs> didn't he? Can I just say, like, this was, and I, I said this before, I heaped all the praise in the world on Rosberg after Singapore, which was another race where, you know, he was the, the strongest driver there all weekend, absolutely bitch slapped Hamilton in qualifying, and then had a huge amount of pressure on him for almost the entire race, including Mercedes almost goofing up the entire race win to uh, kind of match the strategy of the Red Bulls to try and protect Lewis Hamilton on the podium, and in the process, almost cost Rosberg the Grand Prix win itself on a hard charging Ricardo. Rosberg still sees that thing out, and that for me was a real, it was a champion's performance right there. It was mega. Yes, and this race, King was very similar. He had, you know, a lot to deal with. Hamilton was probably the, the slightly faster car in qualifying, and then in the race, very difficult to pass, we know. Uh, so at various intervals, he got stuck behind Max Verstappen. We'll talk about him in a bit on good terms for once, which is weird for me, uh, had to pull off an amazing, amazing passing sequence to get past Verstappen cleanly without compromising his own race, and then had to withstand pressure from not just one, but two drivers and his own teammate parking the bus in front of him. This was like Chelsea in the Champions League final, folks. The dying, the, the desperate final act of a dying championship pursuit from Lewis Hamilton. King, your boy became a man and pressure has built a diamond. Oh, like, how do I put this race? Like, never more in this race was I more afraid of Max Verstappen. <laughs> <laughs> because his battle with Max Verstappen, I was worried something could... Like, I wasn't worried about Max passing him. If that happened, that happened. But I was more worried about... Yeah, but it's knowing Rosberg. how volatile Verstappen can be in defense. Yeah, I was more. I was more worried about something happening that cost... That, you know cost Rosberg that crucial podium that he needed. Mm, yeah, like all it would have taken was a mild bit of contact, damage, knock something off, lose pace, or have to pit for something, and then it's then it's really on the verge of falling completely off the cliff. But, I mean, that was... To, to, it was almost like Rosberg was playing it smart for a while, like, oh, I don't have to pass him yet. And then the call from his engineer came in, like, no, you're probably going to have to pass him to stay, to, to stay safe here. And it was almost like, you could tell Rosberg was like, right, okay, I'm going in! And he sort of <laughs> oh man, it was a solid six out of ten on the Scottyometer. I've got to say, uh, not many locked tires, but it was just really smart racecraft and pretty aggressive as well. Uh, RJ, to me, it kind of felt like what we praised Rosberg for earlier in the year—that a lot more of that clinical kind of, like a sort of, I don't know, if, I don't know if clinical is the word to describe it, but like just a, a pretty nice little ruthless streak. And to me, I maintain that something changed last year at Cota. 
the, the throwing of the hat was the beginning of something a new Nico Rosberg, and and that to me was what got him over the line here. I think nothing demonstrated it more um, than the pass that he made on Verstappen to take the lead in the race. I had to listen to my dad for most of the race, who is not really so much a Nico Rosberg, uh, not so much a Lewis Hamburg, Hamilton fan, but, you know, just somebody who thinks that thought that Rosberg didn't have didn't have that that extra level to take a championship win. And then we both saw him get around for Stappen, a pass with everything to lose and possibly nothing to gain. And Rosberg came away from it. Basically, just out for Stappening for Stappen in some mm. some respects also. I mean, it was a lovely move. It was so good. And then, you know, the pressure's still not over from there because the story of this race was different strategies up the front. I mean, uh, what you're going to hear now is me praising Max Verstappen. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's happening. For a guy we've we've spent all year mostly being negative about Verstappen. Well, I have because I think he's an insufferable ass. But... (laughs) Then again, I probably was an insufferable last age 18 and I'm not an F1 driver, so whatever. But Verstappen had a strategy here to run a one-stop race on, I believe, two sets of softs or super, super soft, soft yeah. and soft. Super soft and soft. So he, he ran just a one-stop race to keep him in contention. And for the most part, stayed up in the podium contention for most of the race and was a threat. Like I say, well, early on... Well, do we... Free, yeah, don't forget about that first corner <laughs> where he ended up going from his starting position to dead last. Yes. Oh, yeah, that, that, that was after he... A one-stop. Yeah, that was, that was after he kind of tangled with Nico Hulkenberg at the first corner. But as he Such better know by now... you don't, that. You do not tangle yeah. with team boys. Yeah. You hear? You hear him on the radio That's afterwards exa- saying, he gave me no room. Get out of there. <laughs> okay, I'll just take back I, I everything mean, nice I, mean, I just said I mean, about apart, Max. I mean, yeah, he gave me no room apart from the fact that Hulkenberg on his onboard was clearly holding his line. But, you know. Yeah, apart from half mm. the racetrack. And I'm yeah, the Verstappen fan by proxy of this podcast. <laughs> I was going to say, you're the one who compared him to Ric Flair. I mean, he that's is, my praise He is here. the bandit. And I am just totally saying that because he drives with a number 33 like Harry Gant. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's not the skull bandit, though. That's the key difference. But no, though, I mean, he, he had to fight back through the field and and did so really, really well, passing a lot of guys. Just with good, aggressive, smart race strategy. Like, this was the thing. I mentioned this before. Sam Collins of Race Car Engineering and, and Nismo.tv uh, was fairly critical on Sky F1 of Verstappen which was great, you know, someone finally being like, Verstappen is not Jesus, sit down. But he actually said his racecraft was pretty sloppy. So this was a lot better from Verstappen. This was good stuff. Like, he was able to turn on the aggressiveness when needed, but it wasn't excessive. It wasn't a, I can't pass a guy without running him half a mile off the road and being a dick about it sort of racing. That's the sort of thing that really got to me. I think I'm just like, this guy just can't pass someone without being a dick about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like, you don't have to treat every single pass like it's the final corner and it's Die Bomb City. Do you know what I mean? Right. And let's not even get into his defensive tactics. But no. And then when he gets to his position, he gets up to back up to third again. He then jumps Rosberg as a result of the Mercs being very conservative on their releases, on their first pit stop. Mm. That Like, they held Rosberg a good almost one to two seconds longer than they probably should have done to and make sure they weren't held proven, by Vettel. Conservatism is not necessarily the best thing. <laughs> Yeah, um, no, but and then they they put Rosberg in that hole behind Verstappen, and Verstappen drove a really good race to still be in contention at the end on just one stop. So I think his racecraft was very good. This was a lot more of a mature drive. This is kind of the more rounded drive 
we'd like to see from Verstappen alongside the fireworks if he's right. going to go back that up. It's that maturity and that sort of rounding out as a, as a driver and a character that's going to send Verstappen over the edge into world champion territory. Like and that's was, when everybody's... All along, we were all saying, go on. And that's when everybody's going to say that he's boring and that he's sold out as a driver <laughs> and that he's become nothing more than a plotting tactician and not a real racer. Ah, <laughs> oh, the world of F1, folks. You can't beat the narrative except with a massive bit of wood with nails in the end of it, which is what we're going to do in a minute. Um, but with the conclusion of this one, we had Rosberg winning just behind Lewis Hamilton, who got himself in the middle of a big old shitstorm here, which is a weird one in that you can kind of see both sides of it. Because basically what was happening is that Hamilton was leading the race, but realized that as long as Rosberg was glued to his gearbox, that he, there's no, he couldn't just like keep going further away and get more points. So the only thing he had left, the last roll of the dice... The last, you know, putting everything on black. He went full Gus Hansen on this shit. Just went straight for embracing the chaos. He basically parked the bus. Hmm. He pulled the Jose Mourinho, parked the bus. But you've got to give credit in a smart way because he would be quick through this first sector just yep. so Rosberg would avoid getting DRS on him and then park the bus in the twisty section where you really can't overtake. So... <laughs> It was very, very smart driving, you have to say. Basically, his plan was to, to back up as many cars up to the back of Rosberg as possible, hoping enough of them would pass Rosberg to demote him down enough positions to be champion. Actually, a very cunning strategy. It's almost like a Bond villain kind of strategy. Yeah, which was, you kind of was, look at it and go, no, actually, that's genius. <laughs> it was a really smart strategy. Mm. But earlier this week, he told multiple sources that he would not do that. <laughs> He, yeah, he said he wouldn't do that. And during the race, the Mercedes team, obviously the guys who pay his checks, or, you know, cash his checks, uh, were sitting there like, well, all we're concerned about is getting the race win. You're actually putting that at risk as well. So do you want to actually speed up? And it reminded me a lot of um, Jamie Winkup in the closing laps of the 2014 Bathurst 1000 when his team are going, okay, you might want to start saving fuel. Uh, Jamie, we need you to save fuel. Jamie, this is getting critical. We need you to say... No, Jamie, you really need to slow down now. You're putting in qualifying... La and Jamie Winkup completely went rogue on them because he was like, well, I'm going to drive flat out and, and then save a lot on the very last lap when I built a gap. Obviously, as we all know, that backfired spectacularly. Very similar here. It was literally a case of... It got to the point where Paddy Lowe was on the radio with Hamilton. Like It went over the top of his engineer. It went over the top of everything else. And Paddy Lowe was on the um, was on the radio saying, "No, Hamilton, you really, Lewis, you really need to speed up now, lad. That you're you're putting this whole situation at risk." And Lewis Hamilton basically flipped off his entire team. Yeah, he, he was he had he threw them under the threw them under the bus. He was like, "You know what? At this point, I don't give a shit about you. I'm here to win the championship for me." Which, on the one hand. It's a driver's world championship. He's going for the driver's <laughs> championship. Mean, like, totally understandable. The, over the radio, he went like full Brian Kendrick and just responded yes. to Patty Lowe that, but I'll lose the championship. <laughs> yeah, he was just, it was a kind of a sulky child, wasn't it? It was like, we need to think about the win, mate. And he was like, but I'll lose the championship if I do that. Let me race. Yeah, it was like a, just a sort of like a complete like. Do you reckon he went as Brian Burns, Kendrick do you know and what went I mean? to uh, Nico, TJ Perkins, Rosberg before the race and said, can I be the win this one? <laughs> <laughs> Let me win this. This is my last chance, buddy. Uh, I don't know. I mean, considering some of his behavior after the race, which is where we're going to get into a lot of the pipe bomb stuff on this episode, wouldn't surprise me at all. But you, you, I mean, 
the tactics on its on its own. It was, it no, was you his can't only doubt card. that. I think a lot, it was the only card that Lewis had. It was the last card he had. Left. Yeah. I understand Mercedes' point of view. Look, they want to win the race, but it's not like they haven't won like eighteen of them already this season. Um, well, I mean, they'd already won the constructors. Won the constructors. What were they going to do? The big story in Abu Dhabi, as Paddy Lowe and everyone at Mercedes very well knew, was the drivers' championship. And to be honest, they should have just let their drivers slug it out. Although it kind of does just show to you to anybody yeah. who wants to sort of advocate team orders that team orders will only work if the drivers are willing to follow them and it was pretty clear that in a scenario yeah, exactly. like that neither Lewis nor Nico were prepared to follow them because if Nico was in the other position he was leaving that Grand Prix I'm pretty sure Nico would have done exactly the same thing as he, as he oh, backed, course, he yeah, backed yeah. the field up in Monaco when he won his first Grand Prix there in 2013 he backed the yeah, pack he up did. there he did yeah he did I mean um, I, I remember they because I was watching the Channel 4 coverage um, and they uh, spoke to Nicky Lauda briefly and, and Lauda basically admitted in as many words that hey I would have done the same thing. And indeed, many people I raced with did do the same thing. So, like, you're not... the. There's ultimately a, a level of who's the guy behind the wheel? Who's the guy in control of the situation? And who's the guy going for a driver's championship? It ain't like this is exclusively a team's championship. So, like, on a pure level, there's nothing wrong with Hamilton's tactics. It was fine. It was the last card he had to play. And boy, did he play it for all it's worth. And it came close, folks. Literally, yeah. the top four came across the line nose to tail. Had Vettel and Verstappen who were literally nose-to-tail with Rosberg across the line. Had they passed Rosberg, Hamilton's the champion, and we're not having this conversation. Yeah, and in fact, Vettel actually lap, had a couple... Yeah. Yeah, Vettel, but, I mean, like, Vettel had a couple of goes in the, in the final one or two laps. He was right there, and he was trying, and Rosberg had to defend. Yeah, I don't know what, what King was like on those final two laps when, when, oh when Vettel God. was attacking oh. Rosberg. But I was watching that race. I was actually Nico, Just, just like, let him have it. You can finish P3. <laughs> No, no but I mean that was what what that was the decision Rosberg had to make. Does he let Vettel through and then have the real pressure of Verstappen? Like, oh, okay, I can't lose this one either. Or, you know, what happens if Vettel goes by, costs Rosberg some pace, and then Verstappen takes advantage? I thought watching or it was just let Vettel pass. have it because he can then chase Lewis down and perhaps win the race. Then you only need P six. But you know, it was so close to the end of the race that Nico just had to. Yeah, just yeah. I think Rosberg was literally a case of you know what? Yeah, no, you, you're taking is, this. Uh, you're like, you're taking this is, out of my cold dead hands. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, I wouldn't risk. I, I I was like I rather have Vettel behind mm. Rosberg as sort of like an obstacle for Verstappen to get around yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Lewis had a lot left in the tank. If if you look at the lap times, like I'll run down his la- the last five laps of the race for Lewis. It was a one fi- it was a one forty six point two one forty six point two one forty five point nine one forty six point three one forty seven point two. Lewis's pole time was one thirty nine. Yeah, wasn't it? it was a one thirty eight. It was a one thirty eight. He was going about seven or six. I mean, yeah, seven he, or he eight. Anyway, six, six to nine seconds, seconds slower. Yeah. Mm. I mean, like as we as we said time and again, I'm like. Hamilton was was very smart about it as well. He wasn't just, as I say, he wasn't just parking the bus all the way around. He was fast in the sectors where he needed to be just to stay out of DRS range, which I thought was pretty crafty. And then the rest of the time, it was let Dirty Air do the rest of the game for me. So, uh, and and like I think you, you're right. I mean, basically Vettel was on the end of a actually successful Ferrari strategy. I know, I have no idea how Dre <laughs> thought about this. He must have just like passed out with excitement. Like, oh, this is a Ferrari strategy call that's probably going to fair wait. It could win us the race. What the shit? Yes. Um, For the first time all year, Rosberg, Hamilton and Vettel were all on the podium at the same time. <laughs> wow. For the first time this year? What the f- <laughs> No, no, no. Wait, <laughs> no what about the first Monza? time they actually kept those positions anyway. <laughs> 
Yeah, <laughs> the first time they kept those positions. It's, it's kind of funny well, with Ferrari. On, Monza? Partly wonders with Ferrari, oh, whether, they, that whether Ferrari planned that or whether they just left Vettel out too long and just slept walk into that strategy and decided, right, you might as well just keep him out now and go for it. That's yeah, relatable. And, and also, what does it say about F1 at the moment that the time that we probably got the most exciting finish to a Grand Prix in years was when Mercedes were sandbagging? <laughs> It's when Mercedes were deliberately going like nine seconds slower than they can. Do. I mean, that's basically the story of every free practice this season. So, yeah, those inevitable tweets of, oh, Kimi Raikkonen topped FB1. And Dre's just like, guys, we know how this ends. Yeah, yeah Dre, Dre was keeping the pessimism going right up until the point where it looked like, oh, yeah, Vettel's actually going to win, the, take this podium place and he might actually win it. Yeah, because he was okay, on the most okay. sensational it charge. Was, it on. was the only time they were all on the podium in that order. It happened. Uh, I was going to say, because yeah, Monza. It happened two times earlier this season, but uh, Rosberg was the winner in those races. Wait, no, and then one other time in Hungary where, yeah, Lewis had won in Hungary. That's the only other time where it was in that order. Yeah, it happened pretty much every other yeah. weekend last year. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, that was just how it was last year, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, like... Um, it, Third place was really the Ricardo and Verstappen show this year. Yeah, like the Red Bull have kind of moved back ahead of Ferrari for all that's worth. And we were all expecting Ferrari maybe to be the main challenge to Mercedes. Most of the time this year, it's actually been Red Bull again. So we're back at 2014 all over again, except Williams have slid back as well. So we're not quite there. Um, so that was the race itself. Very entertaining race. Very emotional finale. Rosberg finally becomes a man. Finally shakes off the doubts and becomes a world champion himself in a, a lovely twist of fate in that he won the world title 34 years after his father Keke the only other father-son duo to do that in the sport Graham Damon Hill what was the gap between their championships 34 years oh, it's just weird things happen like that this, this game's funny like that sometimes and I gotta say I saw a graphic of all of those guys up on the screen earlier Similar levels of epic moustache-based game for the yes. fathers. Like, look at Graham Hill and Keke Rosberg's beard game. Oh, my God. And then their sons, both clean-shaven. Well, mostly yeah. clean-shaven. So, yeah, I mean, that was, that was though, lovely to see. Though it was, it was great because uh, Keke actually did his first interview in six years, and the question that got me the most was, how did you react to the race when Lewis was backing up Nico in those final laps? <laughs> And then KK said, I took a deep sip of my beer and thought this was going to get hot. <laughs> <laughs> That's yes. Great. Why do we not have this guy around in the paddock more? He's awesome. Yeah. At which point he flicked off Babe Station and started watching the Grand Prix. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my dad. Yeah, no, we had some emotional scenes to finish. It was wonderful stuff. I also like the fact that briefly... Like in the green room after there was, it was cold between the Merc drivers. Everyone's celebrating with everyone's congratulating Nico. It's a lot of respect there. This is a guy who's who's paid his dues in the sport. He's the second. He's the guy who's taken the second longest amount of time in the sport's history to make to to win a maiden championship, only behind Nigel Mansell. So that that's why the British press haven't made too much of a deal of that. Like, ah, he's taken ages to win his first title. Who was the guy who took longer? Oh, a Brit. He, um, he has been at Mercedes since day one. Since since they since they came yep. back in, in 2010, he he's he's yep. put in the hard yards with that team. And, and, Mark and Webber it, was also and talking interesting because we're going to talk about we're going to talk about Nico Rosberg's championship and whether it's got an asterisk next to it in the eyes of many. Nico Rosberg's it almost doesn't. had an asterisk next to his name for his entire career because people when yeah. you 
look back at his time alongside Michael Schumacher at Mercedes when he came back, it was always yep. an asterisk. It was always, oh, Nico's only beating Michael because he's been out of the sport for three years and because he's in his 40s. No one ever really gave guy, Nico yeah. the credit for beating a seven times world champion in equal machinery then. And they were so reluctant to give him the credit now. And Nico, I'm so glad he has this championship where it almost doesn't matter whether people give him the credit or not. He's got the trophy to prove how good he is. Yeah, he knows now. He doesn't need to tell. He doesn't. He doesn't have anything left to prove no. to anybody. This is it now. And, and like uh, Mark Webber shared a touching anecdote on the Channel Four broadcast about the time they spent as teammates at Williams, and and that was where Rosberg was a, a rookie. And he said halfway through that season, Rosberg confided him. He said he just wasn't sure if he was cut out for this game. Uh, and since then, he's come on leaps and bounds. He's 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 been one of those guys. I mean, it's appropriate that Channel Four used the. Um, for their end of season montage, for their champions montage, if you will, of his best moments throughout the year. They used the James Brown song, Paid the Cost to Be the Boss, because it's absolutely <laughs> right. This is a guy who's like, he's like Weber, he's like Alonso, he's like Raikkonen. He's done his time in the midfield, he's done his time nearer the back of the, the grid. He's not screamed about his talent, he's, he's, he's done everything he can, he's worked bloody hard, he's been in the shadow of some of the biggest giants in this sport, and he's had almost about as much shit as it's possible to be thrown at one person. Like I mentioned to someone on Twitter earlier, I've been waiting for the Nico Rosberg, like Bret Hart style heel turn mm. promo for the last two <laughs> yeah. years, with the amount of shit he's been, he's been given, and being in the shadow of Lewis Hamilton, I was just waiting for it, but the guy has the patience of a saint, and he never, he stayed true to himself the whole time. And that's what I think is so admirable. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yes. He's the champion that everybody, every every person should tell their children if they want to go into racing, this is the kind of champion you want to be like. This is yep. the kind of driver you want to model yourself after, just well-rounded in every facet of the game. Not really so much willing to pop off your mouth and let your tr- talent do the talking for you. Sometimes mm. it's not always the most quote-unquote entertaining champion, but I think most people would like to have that person represent their sport as the champion who will also carry the, who also carried the champions number one this year. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, let's, let's get into it now. We've talked about the race a lot. Mm. The race was great. And this is a very positive discussion, isn't it? It's amazing what happens when you take the narrative out of it. <laughs> I talked about the narrative earlier, the narrative we've spoken about this many times already this year. And the latest twist in the narrative came about, I don't know about the US Grand Prix time, maybe a little bit earlier. It was when, it must have been after Malaysia. No, that's what it was. It was when Lewis Hamilton himself, post-race comment, post-race bitching from <laughs> Lewis Hamilton. That's a recurring theme, isn't it? It was when he claimed someone somewhere doesn't want me to win the title after Malaysia in the engine blow up. There, the narrative was written. Rosberg's an undeserving champion. He's fluked it because Hamilton's had mechanical failures. On a given day, Hamilton's just the greatest, isn't he, guys? He'd kick Rosberg's ass from until he's wearing his buttocks like a hat. I mean, and, and, he, and even Hamilton said, oh, I've been having leg problems all year and things like that. Oh, come on. That's like, was, was it David yeah, Hay? I, who got, I can't remember who he got. <laughs> when Klitschko yeah. beat him. <laughs> yes, that was it. That's, that's exactly what I thought. I was like, oh, come on. And then when, when the media seemed to run with that, like... I mean, Sky F1 at this point, we know what they're like. I mean, we're talking about earlier, um, you know, and I, and I had a good stat up to, 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 to disprove the whole thought of, um, you know, reliability mm. coming into play. This is the first time in Rosberg's stint at Mercedes alongside Hamilton that he's had less mechanical issues in a year than Hamilton, cost him points scoring finishes. In fact, I have the stat here somewhere. I asked for it earlier on uh, Twitter. Uh, here we go. So the scorecard reads like this. This is non-scores due to mechanical failures. 2013, Lewis Hamilton, 0, Nico Rosberg, 3. 
Well, you can say weren't really in title contention, yeah. so does it affect the championship? Yeah, maybe not as much. Yeah. Nico won more races than Lewis that year for what it's worth. He did as well. I'd forgotten about that. Well played. 2014, the first year of the hybrid era rules. Fairly equal. Hamilton, two mechanical um, DNFs, non-scores. Rosberg, three. Three with so that's that big one. one in the final, and I guess yes, in the final that, race of the that season. That deciding one was in the final race with double points. Like, people yeah. forget that. When people assume that Hamilton blew Rosberg away the past two years, they forget that in 2014, they went in pretty level in a double point season finale. Yeah, one of his other mechanicals you know what I mean? was from the lead in Silverstone as well. Yeah, that as well. I mean, and then 2015, this was one where, like, Rosberg had... I, I thought that any fortune he had this year was making up for bad luck last year because in all fairness I don't think Rosberg probably deserved to be out of the title picture as quick as he was last year uh, and the stats back that up actually Hamilton won mechanical failure last year to two for Rosberg 2016 Hamilton won Rosberg naught so even if you say well Hamilton's had more mechanical problems one. And the fact of the matter is, Nico One. Rosberg has had bad luck of a different kind this season. Uh, if, yep. you, if you look through this season... He, look at the he, penalty in Malaysia. Look at the penalty in Malaysia, the, the the lucky race that Nico had. Yeah, that race where he was torpedoed by Sebastian Vettel at the first corner. Yeah, that, that, that very well, lucky yeah. afternoon that he had. Um, he had the bullshit mm-hmm. penalty in Silverstone, and the FIA pretty much says oh much as God, admitted yeah. it was a bullshit penalty because they changed the radio rules soon after it. The radio uh, penalty? After, oh, after, I'd forgotten after, about after, that. After uh, Hungary, when Jensen had a similar yep. kind of afternoon, they changed the rules. He had the bullshit penalty in Hockenheim where he was judged to have illegally overtaken one of the Red Bulls. I think it was Verstappen he overtook that day at the hairpin and was given a penalty yeah, for that. in Germany. Yeah. Yes, um, yeah. He had to start back down on the grid in Austria, yet still came through to lead the race until the last lap after having a gearbox penalty. It's not as if Nico has had a completely trouble for a year with no bad luck. Nico has had to overcome plenty of adversity himself. He just hasn't bitched yep. and moaned about it. He's gone on with his job and overcome it. Yeah, like I honestly thought at the end of this race there was going to be some kind of Hamilton heel turn from the press about the way he reacted after he had lost the championship, but that yeah. seemed to not appear at all. Yeah, and and that that was the kind of the, one of the big stories is coming out. Like I say, Sky Sports you kind of expect at this point. They are, you know, Dre talks about it in his, his video uh, that he did where like he was saying that it, it from Sky F1 if it's like you know, it's it's a British media thing. Like, British hero versus, let's be honest, the German. Because quite a few people, as I think the Brexit vote showed, still haven't gotten over shit that happened 80 years ago. Um, There is still that narrative there. You know, there was a lot of that sentiment flying around during the Michael Schumacher days. I remember it. The evil German against Uh, the hero Brit, Damon Hill. Yep, the babyface Brit. And then, of course, with Sebastian Vettel. And that's, you know, during that time, it was like, damn, like, we've got two Brits, but also... We've got an Australian. We've got to back the Australian who says funny stuff. <laughs> he could beat that dastardly German. So that and just the lame sort of old school mentality of Sky Sports. One that really made me roll my eyes. Like my eyebrows nearly just flew off my head. This is spectacular even for Andrew Benson's state. Like this was like literally the headline. The season of Rosberg's life, but he'll never be Hamilton's equal. Oh, yeah, I, I, I don't think he strives to be get either. Absolutely fucked. Yeah, exactly. Hamil- we know Hamilton's the three-time champ already. That's a bit like saying, like anybody, it's a bit like Hamilton. He's won title number three, but he'll never be Schumacher's equal. 
No, I tell you that for now. He's gone. Nothing on that Schumacher. Yeah, surely, sh- How desperate are let's you? Say, let's say that was actually true, that Nico Rosberg, you know, he's never going to be the same driver as Lewis Hamilton. Surely that's even more reason to give him bloody credit for beating him over a season and winning the championship exactly. from him. He beat one of the top five drivers Ever. all time in a straight fight for the title all season. Only mm. the second driver Doesn't ever you know, to outpoint Lewis Hamilton in a season. Yep. You know what? That's remarkable. Why Why are we flipping this narrative on its head? And do you know what? Somebody said, it may have been Pablo Elizalde, the, um, the F1 journalist on Twitter. Mm. He said coming into the weekend, weird how there's more a sense of, oh God, can we get this over with coming into the weekend rather than excitement over a championship battle? And I just sat there and went, well, are you surprised when the media have done nothing but belittle one part of this championship to the point that you want to try and build up Hamilton as like this greatest of all time contender, which he is, we're not disputing that, but you then belittle his rival and then wonder why the championship battle doesn't feel as epic as it should. Right. It's basically, you basically made it to a point where Hamilton's lost either way. Like, oh, he beats Rosberg. Well, we expected him to anyway because he's the best of all time. It's like he's a lost him. What it, the shit? It's like a you know poorly what I mean? written title uh, title feud in pro wrestling where absolutely yes, it's where you just spend all every conceivable angle on weekly television and the pay per view just to bury the championship challenger, even though there is a and by that time. Th- this just is the Triple H and Booker T of F1, really. Oh, except the Booker T got the win in the end. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That's that's exactly how it felt. And then the, the narrative just continued. And I, I get the feeling at this point, Hamilton's such a strange character. It's like he flips between nice, and it, it, he would just go long enough to be like, "Oh no, no, I respect this guy. I remember how I like him." And then he'll say something and be like. Oh, no, there it is again. There you go. <laughs> We're out of here. And, like, his his post-race comments uh, after he'd got off the, off the, the, the podium, mm. it was just it was just poor. You know, like, it's just very unsporting. He, he you know, once again harped on the unreliability. He also claimed that given equal cars, he'd be, you know, he'd be the champion. And it's like, wait, are you saying given everyone equal cars? Because I think the likes of, you know... Versta- uh, Vettel, Verstappen, even Ricardo, Raikkonen. There'd be a lot of drivers in the grid that'd be like, uh, "Excuse me, do you really do you really think you'd kick our ass that easily if we were all in equal gear?" Like oh. Dre said this time and again, right? Formula motorsport is very unique. This is exactly why we had such a big problem with the NASCAR playoffs because it exacerbates. Like, surely Hamilton should be grateful they aren't running the NASCAR playoffs because if you had that engine failure at Malaysia, they were running the NASCAR chase. He'd be out. Yeah, you, you yeah. Know, yeah. Such he would not be in target position anymore. Having, you know, unequal cars. You can always go back to McLaren. They'll give you an equal car with your teammate again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And then, and then you get embarrassed by either Alonso or Van Dorn. Yeah, 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 it completely actually. takes away from so many of the good things that Nico Rosberg's done in the season yep. where he's driven like a champion. You've already mentioned the Singapore race where he was phenomenal. That was amazing. Um, you know, he's, so many of his wins this season have been like stuff like wins where he's been untroubled at the front of the Grand Prix. And you know, we're, we were right early on to bring up the overtake of Verstappen uh, because that was the overtake that won him the World Championship because if he'd been stuck behind Verstappen in that second stint of Verstappen's in the final stint of the race, Vettel would have undoubtedly caught him because he caught Verstappen pretty close to the end. Of course, if he'd overtaken the pair of them, Vettel would have been second, Verstappen would have been third, Rosberg would have been fourth and would have lost the championship. So that move on Verstappen just before um, Rosberg made his stop was absolutely crucial. That move won him the championship mm. and it was the drive of a champion. And people bring up this last four race, this stretch towards the end of the season where Lewis has beaten uh, Rosberg four, four races running with Rosberg second. And people talk about, well, that proves who the superior guy is. No, it doesn't because Rosberg did all he had to do. He could afford to finish second, which is exactly what he did. He judged it perfectly. 
perfectly. And, and what really made me laugh towards the end of the season was that the Hamilton fans got the wacky, mixed-up wet race that they were begging for, and Rosberg navigated his way through it. Yep. Yeah. And like, and, and this, is a, this is an interesting quote I, I found uh, from Rosberg himself in the post-race conference uh, yesterday. He actually said, apologies if I've not been completely transparent all weekend. I hope you understand I have to protect myself from your world, which can be a little intense. You don't say, Nico. You are being so polite about this. I'd just be literally, if I was him, if I was any of us in that room, I'd be sat there with, well, I wouldn't have the trophy. I'd just be sat there with a massive bottle of rose water, in this case, or whatever Jensen Button was drinking. We'll get to that in a bit. Mm. I'd just be sat there, I'd be like, motherfucker, why am I even answering questions from you? You still don't believe I'm a valid champion. Get the fuck out of here. I'm world champion, bitch. <laughs> like, but he's just so, so, uh, like, a very reserved. And it was lovely to see the real emotion come out when he actually won the thing. There were so many pictures of him celebrating, partying away. Shout out to Danny Ricardo and Roman Grosjean getting in on the festivities, by mm. the way. They're the real party animals out of here. Yeah, best um, thing you can say about Nick Crossway. Not only does he lose with humility, but he wins with it too. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's the all-round kind of really just a good guy he's genuinely one of the good yeah. guys i think that's why everyone enjoyed it but uh, on this as well we have this thing now where the story this morning the, the day after the race all the back pages are dominated by mercedes might suspend lewis hamilton for disagreeing with team <laughs> orders and blah and the stuff they won't they won't well it, yeah it's, it's irrelevant yeah, they'll they give won't. a three-month ban which expires just before australia <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's bollocks, you know. Like, but again, it just denig- once again the story is not about Rosberg. Mm. It's like they just can't bring themselves to be like, yeah, it's rather convenient. It's rather convenient. Champion, isn't he's it, the best well. guy. We should give this other- the story of Hamilton allegedly quitting after Barcelona had to get leaked right after Rosberg wins the championship. <laughs> oh, oh my god! Yeah, like come uh, on. If that was as if that was the thing, any you know, yeah. I wonder oh, who I was mean, responsible for that like, game. I mean. Mm, like, oh, I've still got this Benson one ahead of it. Like, I can't read it without getting angry. It's stupid. It's shit. You've just really? got to think Please. about. You just got to think about Benson breaking the Ferrari, the Vettel signing with Ferrari story a year early. <laughs> At, at least oh, that's why he's still in a job. Yes. At, at least I have to say, Autosport did it pretty right. I would say eight out of ten for the effort. Where their front page is a big picture of Rosberg celebrating and it's a headline to their column how Rosberg dodged Hamilton's minefield good that's that at least gives him credit you know yeah. what I mean that gives him something but like this this rush to denigrate it just makes the sport look silly it plays and, and Hamilton I think plays up to it a lot he yes. just knows he can say that and people will believe people him people will buy what he's selling and yeah which is frustrating in any ways like people Sky, BB, media, you don't need to be Hamilton's PR. We get it. And He's Lewis, brilliant. We can tell that from our own eyes. But guess what? Rosberg beat him over a fair fight this year. And that's fine. That won't change Hamilton's legacy. It's made Rosberg's. Great. Yeah. That makes next year even more interesting if you think about it. Yeah. Yes. And we've got two world champions in the top team. And Lewis does not need to feed the narrative. He's one of the most important drivers in Grand Prix racing history for more reasons other than his driving alone. He doesn't need to be the guy who is feeding all this constant BS. He's great on his own. Just don't do it, man. Yeah, mm. like, I was really starting to come to like Lewis Hamilton this season, up until this weekend. <laughs> yeah, and it just went away again. It's like, you can... It, it just feels to me like Hamilton can claim to be all mature and be all sensible and be all like, 
the the the, the good winner and the good loser. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. It, it just reminds me a bit of that skit from from Top Gear where they had the England versus Germany episode, ironically. Um, and it was the challenge where I think Hammond was up against one of the German guys in the Bowler Wildcats. And yeah. Hammond nearly fucks up the race and then wins it. And then you just hear Clarkson go, have you ever heard of bad losers? Well, Hammond is yes. what we call a bad winner. And then Hammond just like opens the door just and just screams in the other guy's face. Yes! And he starts slapping him on the head with a helmet. I'm just like, wow, this guy's a prick. But it's a similar sort of thing, you know what I mean? But like, yeah, I that's what I always remind well, me of. While we're talking about the media coverage of it all, full credit to, to Channel 4 and particularly to Mark Webber and to David Coulthard who called Lewis Hamilton out on his lack of humility and saying yes. that he should have been yeah, a, they a did. lot more humble after he'd basically failed yeah. to accept defeat to his teammate. Yeah, I've I've got to say, Channel Four. I think I watch the Channel Four coverage a lot, so I, I dodge a lot of Sky shit. Uh, they're just insufferable at this point because they are the chief pushers of the narrative. TM Channel Four, like you can tell, Steve Jones veered into it a few times, but it's almost like someone was in his ear to kind of tell him to do that sort of thing. Mm. But the pundits there, like Coulthard and and especially Mark Webber, you can rely on Mark Webber to keep it real, amongst other things. And they really did keep it real. They were like, nah, there's no excuse for Hamilton. Like he's lost fair and square. You just Say it, dude. Like, if you are that great a driver, you should be able to go, well, I wasn't good enough. This guy was better than me this, uh, this year. I'll be back next year. Let's do yeah. it again. You know what I mean? Like, it's 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 annoying in I, that respect. I and think we need to just, like, take a break and enjoy the, enjoy the other positives of this weekend. Like, for instance, Team Boys clicks fourth in the Constructors! <laughs> Yes! Team Boys, motherfucker, which is being split out by King, fuck you. Team Boys! <laughs> Team Boys in their last outing beat Williams. Sorry, massive fans who wanted a better send-off. We kind of beat you in that respect. But yes, no, like, there's me just over here like, well, my drivers are unlikely to be in this sort of situation, so I may never know how King feels. Well, except when the V8 Supercars finale happens, because my boy is about to become a man over there. Shane Van Gisbergen is leading the championship over there. Oh, God. Um, King, I'm going to know your feeling because he's basically <laughs> up against V8 Supercars, his own Lewis Hamilton in Jamie Winkup. So yep. um, that's that's going to be fun. Um, Sahara no, Force like, India, a team that has been rumored to be going bankrupt in each of the last how many years in a row, has now finished yeah, like fourth in the Late construct- 2014, early... Twi- like, last year, they were in real trouble. Like, they didn't update their car for half the season. They were... They looked to be like... When we were talking about, oh, you know, Mauritius went away and then sort of resurrected Caterham went away it was like who's next Force India like loads of people had them on or maybe Lotus I mean Lotus did go but they became Renault but yeah like and for me personally you guys know my boys Hmm. in this series and it's kind of the OSW review definition of boys which is they can't be a champion they become men as King is is now Nico Rosberg is no longer King's boy Uh, he has become a man Um, but that like I think the pure OSW review is they're a little bit naff to a degree and you kind of feel a little bit like, yeah, I'm cheering for these guys. I know they're not the coolest, but I still like them. But we're kind of a little bit more lax with that. But yeah, I know Nico Hulkenberg's never got a podium ever. And I know Perez fluked his, well, flunked his run at McLaren, but they're still my boys. I've supported them all. And it's been fun having them together at Force India the past few years until Renault came in to break it up. Um, So... Not bitter about that. <laughs> Although Esteban Ocon, he is doing his best to earn boyhood status to join Force India next year. Yeah. But I tell you what, this year has been so good for Force India. It's been fun. Like, I remember the run at, uh, at Spa. That was a real highlight where they were up there. You know, Perez, what was it, two podiums he in there? Yeah, another another he two podiums. Including the podium. Mo- and yes. Baku as well. Like, one of the few Monaco good things Baku. that came out of the Baku race. Well done, Checo. Yes. I mean, Perez is just. Uh, yeah. Perez, I, I, I love watching Perez races. I in Brazil, too. 
<sighs> yes. Don't remind me of that. Sergio Perez just told, just told everybody that slagged him off after his 2013 season at McLaren to go shove it where the sun don't shine. And he's been doing well, that for what. the last three years. Yeah, and I tell you what, he's been under, uh, he's been with Nico Hulkenberg, who's been that guy who everyone's been waiting to have that big breakout season. Well, I'll tell you what, Perez at the tail end of last year had Hulkenberg's number, and they've, this year they've gelled really well as a team. And Perez has had his best career performance ever he scored the most points he's ever had in a season and that's regardless of it being a longer championship than ever like he was already ahead of his total 15 races in do you know what I mean like he had a superb season this year a career best he's staying with Force India as much as I make jokes about it I can understand Hogmer going to a factory and I really hope in that respect that the Renault move works out for him because there's a guy who's been waiting for that big chance you almost get the feeling now Perez he may not ever get that big second chance but he'd deserve it on merit. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. Jeez. Yeah, he's... Goodness, he's one of the... He's pro, And he's just going to get better as time goes on. Remember, he's still only 26 this year. That's hardly any he, age at all. He's, like, just yeah. about to hit his prime in a couple years. That is that is sensational. I'd, I'd forgotten about that, actually. So that was a great story coming out. They, they uh, scored comfortably in the points. I believe they were 7th and 8th. Yes. I think and so. I in, and one person yeah, that also got in the points... Was Felipe Massa one of two drivers who had driven their last race, the other being Jensen Button, who suffered a suspension failure running over the curb in his McLaren and retired yep. from his very last start? That, yeah. and then, that, then which in the end turned out to be a great thing. It, after the race. <laughs> 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 it, it was one of those things where it was like, oh no, Button's retired from his final race. And then he was just like, never mind, I can start drinking earlier. And then Channel 4 interviewed him when he was several drinks in. And then he hijacked Ted's notebook and made it Jensen's notebook. And it was some of the greatest television you've seen in the last decade of F1. It was absolute gold. I mean, Lewis, I tell you what, I've been there with Jensen Button. He was, you know, one of my boys for a while, I've got to say. And I was right there during that Braun season of 09. I was actually wearing my Braun GP cap, unironically, during the race yesterday in tribute. Yeah, I know you've been a follower of his right from the very start. Mm. He has been your king boy since the very start. How how does it how does it feel now? It, what, it, is it? It's, it's kind of odd. I mean, he yeah, you're right. He was he's, he's genuinely one of my sporting heroes. I mean, I I supported him since I was nine years old when he started in 2000. I was only nine years old, and yeah, I've been a fan of his ever since. And it is going to be odd next season. It's kind of watching from on thinking, right? Who do I cheer for now uh, when, when yeah. I watch this sport? It's never never a question I've had to ask myself. And I think the fact that he's just been sort of out there just partying and just living it up ever since his final race is finished kind of makes it feel real yet if, if he'd had the sort of Felipe Massa uh, tearjerker farewell as he had in Brazil two weeks ago it might have been a little bit more tough yesterday but yeah he's he's been a fantastic ambassador for Formula 1 he's, he's had a fantastic career um, another of those sort of champions kind of like Nico Rosberg in a way that you almost never thought you were going to see um, and then yeah. obviously yeah. in 2009 yeah, yeah. it all came together for him um, and he won that championship there and yeah he was another champion I suppose in 2009 where some people were, were kind of keen to put asterisks next to it in that he'd started the season so brilliantly kind of like Nico Rosberg did where you know, Jensen won 6 out of 7 Nico won 4 out of 4 and then the lead was slowly whittled and, and down and that Braun GP car yeah, started Braun with such a good slowly back down yeah. the grid and yeah throughout that season Jensen Button kind of like Nico this year whenever he had to do something when he had 
Oliver had to get a result. He got yep. it. Even if that meant coming mm. from deep on the grid to finish fifth or sixth, Jensen did it. Yeah. Um, and, and There was um, one race near the end of that season that I remember really well. I can't remember what it was, but it was when he was starting to finish. Like He was only managing like top fives and top sixes, mm. and everyone was like, oh, it's starting to slip away, and Vettel was was on the charge. But it, it wasn't Brazil. It was one he like, did, we, it did may it, have been a win. He did it in Singapore. I know he did it in Singapore where he qualified, I think, 14th. He went out in Q2 and finished fifth, beat Rubens, who was his main championship rival at the time, to, to finish fifth in that race. Um, and and yeah, and one thing I think Jensen deserves so much credit for um, is you know he, he's almost enhanced his reputation after winning his championship rather than winning it itself mm. because you know people obviously talk about you know the kind of freakish circumstances of Braun being so strong that year but he did what very few people would do in his position when you've won a championship you've reached the top of the mountain he decided I want to go I want to go higher than this I want to find another summit I'm going to take on arguably the pound for pound best driver in the world in his team um, Lewis Hamilton at McLaren and credit to him in 2011 outpointed him and beat him and you know Jensen won two of his first four races at McLaren which no one gave him a prayer of doing you know, I still remember looking at the, uh, the the narrative, if you like, of the start of 2010, and no one gave Jensen Button a chance up against Lewis Hamilton in the same team. And Jensen proved a lot of people wrong that year. And proved not only was he a worthy world champion, but he was one of the genuine best drivers of this era. And you, know, you only need to look at his results; they speak for themselves. And no driver can race in over 300 Grand Prix unless you are something very, very special, both on and off the track. And and yeah, I'm going to sure mm. as hell miss watching Jensen Button out in Formula One next season. Although, if he's anything like it was on the notebook yesterday I'm sure I'm going to enjoy his sporadic punditry appearances next season oh, oh my god like he said like he may be leaving F1 but he's not going to stop racing anytime soon I think he said he was going to race until his 70s if he could <laughs> oh no well, didn't he hint about starting up his own rallycross team yeah <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's been dabbling with Rallycross. He did that feature for the BBC on, on Rallycross, so you know he's been there or thereabouts. RJ, am I hearing mutterings that he could be in Super GT next year as well? Yeah, he's he's learning towards like a part-time deal to run at least like the long-distance races at Fuji and Suzuka for Honda and Super GT. In fact, this weekend at Twin Ring Motegi, he's actually going to be part of Honda Racing's uh, Thanks Day, which is their big end-of-season festival, and he, along with Danny Pedrosa, are going to drive a GT500 NSX. Fernando Alonso oh, did this. Baby. Yeah, they're going to do a, like a demo run. Fernando Alonso did this last year, and I was just like, oh, man, oh, man, this would never <laughs> happen, but please. Yeah, that would be, yeah. I, I mean, I'm excited by that prospect. I really am. I think it's going to be, excuse me, I think that's that's one to really, it's just to relish, really. And, um, like, I, I'm in a similar sort of thing for for Button as well. It's, it's weird. I, I had this to a degree well, to, to quite a lot of my all-time favorite NASCAR driver, um, Jeff Burton, retired in 2013. There was a weird void in the sport. Like, as literally, as long as I'd loved NASCAR and have been in the sport, he was there, and he always was, and he was always my guy, and he was always my boy in that sport. Like, and I suffered everything. Like, it, it took me... With Jeff Burton, it was a weird path, because I got... Uh, he had already won races when I started uh, in NASCAR and started pulling for him in 2001, and yet I came in just at the exact moment when... He uh, decided, like, literally, he got to the point where, like, what am I trying to say? It took me five years to actually see him win a race live. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. It, it took that long to happen. It was it was really, um, 
it was it was a long time coming and then and then when he retired in 2013 it was a very weird vacuum that was left behind afterwards and so I feel a lot for Jensen Button fans right now and of course Felipe Massa fans we've got to give a got to give a shout out to him he's another one of the stalwarts who's just been around this sport for so long and in the end their, their send-offs were kind of fitting Massa's was very emotional very tearjerker this is a guy who's been so passionate this is a guy who unfortunately will always be the asterisk in 2008 which isn't fair in a way but you've got Button, on the other hand, who his his farewell was full of smiles and full of joy and fun and prattling around and booze, basically. That's kind of fitting of both of them, really. It's a weird world that we're going to be in now without either of those guys in it. Definitely the end of an era, I think. And it's, o- uh, and it's only going to creep in sooner that Alonso and Kimi Räikkönen are at the end of their careers as well. I was going to say, they've... they've they are much closer to the ends of their respective careers than the start. This is definitely the end of an era and a new one beginning, I think. And uh, people, you've got some big shoes to fill. You know what I mean? <laughs> you've got a lot of big shoes to fill. So I think, you know what? I think that may well be the main event about done. Any Anything else you want to talk about? Very big shout outs to Williams for um, running a tribute to their F1 video game livery this weekend. That was fun. Spiller <laughs> <laughs> when the V8 supercars went there, um uh they the, the Jim Beam Fords became the team Fords in the same font. It which kind of looked a bit lame. But no, nah, yeah, the Williams finally looking like how they do in the video games was was nice. There were some interesting backmarker brawls as well, which kind of had a real end of term feel to them. It was kind of hilarious, like the manners crashed into each other at one point. I think Palmer got into it with signs. Quite literally. It was a real sort of like, we're out of the points, we're not contending for anything, fuck it. Let's go for it, do you know what I mean? The mid-grid yeah. is always the best grid. Yes. And I, and I say this as a lifelong minority fan. <laughs> so, that'll just about conclude. Blimey, that was some main event. Dre, I hope we did that one justice when you listen back to that one, buddy. We won't and have. <laughs> yeah. never we we did our best. We did our best. No, I have to say, I have to say one thing from this video. This definitely was the best race of the season. Like genuinely, the best race of the season. Yeah, it's it's hard to argue on that one. Like, I mean, what else? Like, there were some good contenders in the early season, but in terms of this one going right to the wire, this one wins it hands down. Like, Singapore was fairly close, but I seem to be the anomaly in that one. In that, I like Singapore and no one else does. (laughs) But like, I mean, this was like. Considering when we've had like Monza, USA, fucking Mexico until the final two laps and the Vettel F bomb heard around the world. Jesus Christ. I mean, this was like, it's weird how such a at times tedious season has produced one of its all time best championship finales. You, Do you know what I, I mean? I told you all Abu Dhabi in even numbered years is <laughs> surprisingly better than people think. We've yeah. had three title deciders. And we had the 2012 race where Kimi Raikkonen did his thing and may have started that a meme. will be forever be remembered on t-shirts worldwide. Right. <laughs> so, like, this was... Though, well, I, mean, I think we need to take a... Go on. Though, one thing I do have to add, like, the reaction to, oh, Lewis had a better year, but people... But it seems that... Lewis had a better better finish to the season, and people have this recency bias, which does make playoffs seem to make sense, but no one likes playoffs because it doesn't account for the whole year, which Nico was better over the course of. Yeah, so basically the F1 season, in a weird roundabout way, said fuck you to playoffs in motorsport. So I approve of that. Yep. So with that in mind, we have, well, we have a 
big old pile of news to deal with outside of F1, unbelievably, and a, just a massive pile of letters and messages and tweets just falling out of a huge mailbag. So I think, folks, I propose we deal with that next up. And I was just saying we were done with the F1. King, you have some <laughs> F1-related news. Yes, from before the weekend, uh, there was a strategy group meeting and some things were done and oh, things no. might be... Oh, I forgot, forgot about, about this. this. No! <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, Force India tabled uh, the idea of having... Uh, Standing, standing restarts, you know, standing restarts after every safety car period. And it was approved by most of the other teams. I think it was approved by all of the other teams, to be honest. So that could be a thing next year. It still has to go through the commission and the World Motorsport Council. And it needs to be voted unanimously for it to pass because, you know, it's pa- it's like months past the deadline for next year's regulations. So it won't be coming into effect next year. Oh, if it, if it gets agrees, through, yeah. It, yeah, if it gets through, it will be in for next year. Yeah, I remember I mean, the uh, the uh, the scrapped qualifying format after two races this year, and it was passed pretty late in the in the off season. Yeah, so it's literally while we blame quote unquote Bernie for these rules, like because it's passed so late, literally everyone has to agree to them. And the thing is with, with this, with this concept, I mean, when I can understand it, when we have wet races that start behind a safety car, I can understand the standing start then because it's almost the start of the race. But after every safety car period, it just sounds a little bit sort of lottery for me. I mean, just imagine if a safety car period comes out with five to go and the safety car comes in at the start of the final lap, you're going to have a one lap race. Yeah, I think like they brought this up before. I forgot what the like they brought up last year, but it got uh, turned down. And in terms of they wanted qualifying change, and I think it was you couldn't have a standing restart with a certain amount of laps to go. Mm. I think it was seven, but it I think it depends on race length. Mm. But generally, there'd be a cutoff period to when you can't have a standing restart, and there's also a number of maximum where I think you're they won't have more than three. Okay. So if so so you won't get like a NASCAR style running like we're gonna be doing restarts forever. Yeah, it was funny on uh, on Friday as well during the Sky phone coverage where Anthony Davidson completely missed the idea of what it was supposed to be. He said, so wait a minute, at the end of every safety car period, they're going to pull up on the grid and they're going to get a tie warmers on and the mechanics on the grid. It's like, no, Anthony, that's not what they're planning. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not going that literally. Yeah, like Bernie had a more extreme idea of having a... Like, it was pretty much going to be a halftime in F1 where basically it's... It's two sprint races on a Sunday, and I forgot there would be like a GP2 style reverse grid, and there would be points giving given to both races, but there would still be two races with a halftime. Mm. Wow. Well, some, sometimes you you just don't. Sometimes British touring car ideas don't translate <laughs> over to F1, and that's probably <laughs> what. I, I bet that's, yeah, they went for British touring car racing. Yeah, but like, they like can be like, no, Bernie, we're not doing that. Yeah, and I love British touring car racing, but I wouldn't want like 
some of their ideas going over to F1 because they're completely different things. Yeah, it's like the playoffs work fine for the NFL. They don't work in NASCAR. Imagine Max Verstappen yeah. doing a Rob Austin and checking out his number in the bowl and giving himself pole position. <laughs> Rob Austin did this season. <laughs> Yeah, that was last year. I remember that, actually, because it was like, hey, I'm on the pole. And then like, the next day he was like, actually, I totally looked and saw what number I got. <laughs> like like the like the historian in me would love to see different formats for different races. Like, say, the promoter of the Italian Grand Prix wanted to have a lottery and like sprint races that they just do it for Italy. That'd be cool if we didn't if we had different formats for different races. Yeah, and like I, I like when other series do that. Like, I mean, there's different race lengths in NASCAR. We talked about this uh, as a downer for the WEC. They don't have enough like different like race formats. You know, it's just the six hours of this F1 venue. IMSA does it very well. They have various different lengths. They have their kind of crown jewel races. IndyCar does it pretty well as well. They have their. They used to have more double headers. I think now it's only the Detroit yeah. races a double header. Um, V8 supercars. I love how they do it. They have separate formats for street races, uh, regular circuit races, no. and then oh. the endurance season. One thing I say: uh, Grand Prix racing did used to have something sort of rallycross because rallycross when it came around it took that format before before the f1 started monza used to host two races they used to host the italian grand prix and the grand prix of of monza and the grand prix of monza was basically like a rallycross formatted event they had heat races they had a last chance qualifier and then they had a final oh my god yeah with f1 like an f1 race <laughs> yeah like this. yeah with grand prix cars <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, they were, Wait, do, do these races exist on YouTube? I need to watch. No, them. they don't exist on YouTube because they only. <laughs> yeah, like it was like the other race at Monza besides the Italian Grand Prix. It was like the Grand Prix cir- circus coming back to Monza for. I think it was hosted later in the year, where the Italian Grand Prix date is there today. Wow. Okay, that's fair enough. I love that idea, though. So. Yeah, no, it'd be fun to have different formats. I, I don't know. This restarts deal just kind of feels a little bit like when people kept bringing up the idea of sprinklers. Like, <laughs> man, it's almost like somebody's gone, you know what? We've realized that most races are over by turn one because Mercedes OP. As Dre very much pointed out, why don't we look at the cars and actually make sure they're more mm. competitive? Nope. Let's just try and make it more complicated. Let's just try and make that it's over by turn one happen maybe four to five times a race rather than once. I I don't think it solves anything. I think ultimately it's going to cause more problems than it solves. It's going to be like the qualifying debacle at the start of this year where you're going to get a, a restart or two where there's going to be a massive crash or some sort of disaster. People are going to be like, nope, this is stupid. Why did we do this? And the FIA are like, okay, we're rejecting it. Wait, no, we're not. We're bringing it back. Well, actually, no, we're not. Actually, my brain hurts. There's a hamster over here. Tell me whether this is a good idea. It's a good idea. We'll keep- no, we're not. Like, it would just be nonsense. I hope it isn't that. Um, yeah. But, I mean, if it does get through, uh, there's, you pretty much have to blame everyone because everyone gets a vote <laughs> at this point. Because the F1 commission, everyone gets a vote, including key broadcasters and the tire manufacturer. So Pirelli has a vote in this. Sky F1 has a vote in this. So, oh, my God. Yeah, it needs to be unanimously approved. So they can't deny that they didn't say yes. Yeah, so you can't. At least you can't blame Bernie for this one solely. Um, we can blame is, him for other things, so yes. <laughs> we can blame him for everything else, pretty yes. much. So um, the only other, there's not a huge amount else of news, I don't think. I mean, there's the the very sad news from IndyCar. Well, nothing actually in this sport, but team stop and go had to stop at the final hurdle. It didn't make it. Take a knee for James Hinchcliffe, his Dancing with the Stars hopes. In the end, he lost out to the I can't even remember the name. 
who the person who everyone was like, he's not going to be um, Laurie Hernandez, Olympic gold, Hernandez, Olympic yes. gold medalist, Olympic gold medalist, and superstar and amazing person. And but Hinchcliffe, I tell so you James what, Hinchcliffe has something in r- common with Ed Bowles in that they both went out of dance shows this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Now, there's a pub quiz question for you. What links James Hinchcliffe, a Canadian IndyCar driver, with Ed Balls? <laughs> Ed Balls. British meme and politician. <laughs> yeah, the reply, the answer is just Ed Balls. It's, it's, like a pod, it's like the Ian Collins Wants a Word podcast that I like to listen to. They have an in-joke about it. Whenever they mention Ed Balls, they go, Ed Balls, and a jingle player's going, Ed Balls, Ed Balls, Ed Balls. Yeah, Ed Balls said. Uh, so... <laughs> Oh man, that was a diversion. Um, so Hinch, tell you what, still real proud of you, buddy, and how you represent the sport. And that moment where you did the dance and told the entire story of your Indy 500 crash. Yes. Oh, there wasn't many dry eyes around in the motorsport community. No, you're cutting uh, onions. I'm not crying. Yes. Who is cutting onions here? Can you pack that shit in now? So yeah, that was a really good run for it. Um, guys, I I want to make a proposal, and I think we should do this like the FIA. We should unanimously vote on it. So people can blame all of us if it's a bad decision. I vote we go into the mailbag. Mm. I, I, I approve. I second Let's the vote. Oh. Yeah. Is someone pulling a veto? Nope. I, yeah, I'm good with it. We're good. And it's passed with a unanimous vote of four to nothing. We are going into the mailbag. Let's dive straight into this massive sack of... Um, uh, tweets and comments and stuff. I'll tell you what, let's start over on Facebook because most of the, the, the questions we get are over on the Twitter. We, we appreciate all of them, by the way. It's all great stuff. We have actually answered one of the ones on the Facebook page already. So let's start with um, two, it, uh, yeah, two in one here uh, from Reese Quinn Jones and Connor Carl Pink. Now, Reese Quinn Jones asked very simply, do you think Daniel Ricciardo has a chance at the title next year? And that ties into something that Connor Pink asked, which was, with the regulation changes, do Red Bull and Ferrari have a chance of making the Constructors' Championship a three-way fight, I assume, for next year? Now, Mm. it depends on how important aero becomes again and whether whether an aero advantage can be enough to overcome engine OP because the thing is Mercedes have not just had the dominant power plant of the hybrid era just outrageously so it's also enabled them to make their car like they talked about this in Abu Dhabi Mercedes are able to have as much if not more downforce than their rivals and still be faster because their engine is that good so it I don't know about you guys it depends on how much aero becomes a factor because in which case Red Bull are right back in the game Ferrari you're not so sure but I I don't know. I I think the engine will still be a key factor. I I think this is a tale of two regulation changes. Yes, the arrow is opening up, but also the token system is like no longer existing for the power unit. So if you want to like build a new power unit from scratch uh, for next year, you can, which Renault is doing, or you can completely, Ah. or you can completely overhaul your current one to try to get a performance boost. There's no, there's nothing restricting engine development anymore. Oh, goodness. So basically, engine development has completely opened up. Yes. Just, basically, in the hope of someone's got to be able to beat Mercedes somehow. Right. It's There's basically, always basically that hope. The, we've got to throw Honda a freaking bone rule. <laughs> <laughs> throw me a freaking bone, Honda. Just give them more yeah. chances to eventually screw the whole thing up. Because that seems to be what everybody's been doing the last three years. Yeah. Basically, yeah. I mean, so. Oh, I think. I think. 
they have no tokens, but you could still do it in season. So, like, if you want to, like, oh, we, we're done using this engine, we could bring a completely new engine to the next race. Well, they don't have four for the year, <laughs> so, don't they, next year? Yeah, they, they only have four for the year, but if they want to go from, like, one to two, it could be a completely different design if mm. they wanted to. So, I mean, there is, there is, so not just aero will become a factor next year. Engine development is opening up. So there is a chance for gains to be made or Mercedes to be even more OP than ever. Um, what's, what's good so as I well guess, on that is that they've closed the Hamilton loophole and that they can't just, if a team goes over four, they can't just introduce four new power units at one weekend and stock them up. They're not allowed to do that next year. Yeah. Yeah, not yeah that is quite good. I mean, that's, that's a bit of Hamilton good like we didn't talk about <laughs> yeah. earlier, folks. It doesn't fit your narrative, does it? Now you piece of anyway. Um, Actually, one of them. So up to answer the questions, that, well, true. Um, ignore that. Um, so to answer your question, Reese Quinn Jones, I think Ricardo has a shot at the title if Red Bull are competitive. But that's a big if. We saw that this year. We were all like, "Oh, Ferrari might be the ones to finally conquer the Mercedes." But oh, no. Yeah, and, that hasn't and I think it also depends on how desperate Max Verstappen would be with a title shot. Hmm. Oh my God. Oh my god! Like that, the part of me, like the nihilist in me, almost wants to see that. <laughs> um, That's basically so we my have... attitude towards life lately. Just fuck it all up. <laughs> As I crack open a cold one, watch the universe burn behind me. Yeah, my my basically, answer would be I mean, if James Ellsworth can get a title shot, anyone with two hands has a fighting <laughs> chance. So Daniel Ricciardo yes. can absolutely win the world championship next season. Daniel Ricciardo is a lot it. more photogenic than James Ellsworth. <laughs> he has a chin for one thing. Saskia Stewart, our friend from the Grid Girls podcast, can attest to this. <laughs> oh yeah, she she rather she 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 likes her some Rick, don't she? <laughs> um, she's only just followed me on Twitter as we're recording this episode, and that follow's gone. <laughs> so, um, right, another question, Brian Glenham. Uh, do you think that other series should follow Formula One and allow drivers to pick their own number and use it their whole career? And what race number would you use uh, for his F1 2016 career mode? He uses uh, number 86. Now, as far as I know, there are a lot of series that allow you to pick your own numbers kind of for life. I believe MotoGP does yes. this. Yes, MotoGP you, does that. You That's... can pick a number. I think once you retire, that number is then fair game, unless MotoGP do what they've done recently for Loris Caparossi's uh, number at 65 and retire it. Um, that's a whole separate yeah. debate on retiring numbers in racing um, but yes basically in MotoGP you can pick your number but you only get that number in that class for that year uh, and then the next year that's right, available okay. so for example um, if a rider from the 2016 season pulls out a MotoGP that number that they ran in 2016 is available that is on the board for anybody who wants to run it in 17 yeah so it's, it's, it's not like even if that rider is not there anymore the other guy still has to ask permission to to use it yeah. sort of thing. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah. Formula okay. One basically so, uh, janked the idea from MotoGP and then DTM mm, janked the, like the idea from, Moto, from F1 and MotoGP. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a nice promo idea because you attach a number directly to a driver. So yeah. like, what is the we've seen the hashtags in MotoGP in this year. You'd argue it's the yellow 46 and that pretty much, that pretty much oh, justifies yeah. having a number because it becomes part of your brand. You can you can use it as, yep. and look, look at Lewis Hamilton. He could have run the number one this year, 44. but he ran 44. Yep, there we go. So yeah, like, then, we, then we get into awkward situations where, like here in North America, drivers don't have the right to the numbers their teams do. So we get awkward situations where drivers switch teams, but they're still recognized for their old numbers, like yeah. uh, Dale Jr. in the eight. 
<laughs> yep, and now and then, yeah, yeah, and then we have this issue now where legendary drivers have such a famous uh, affinity to a number that anyone coming along after that is in a bit of a shadow. Like Austin Dillon, the past few years has been driving the number three. Yeah, Bell Earnhardt. That's it. That's all you see Anybody when you see that number three. Anybody who has driven the number well. forty-three Petty Enterprises slash Richard Petty Motorsports <laughs> car since Richard Petty stepped away. Yep, uh, and, uh, and indeed Chase Elliott this year in number 24. The, the Pons team in Moto2 which, have been the most shameless of them all because they've been sponsored by a Spanish radio station called HP40. So any rider that rides for that team must run the number 40 with, oh, with wow. basically the sponsor logo of that radio station on the front of the bike. So last year it was Alex know, Rins, whose regular number is 42, which he'll be running in MotoGP next season. He had to run number 40 in Moto2, as Maverick Vinales did in Moto2. His regular <laughs> number is 25. So basically if you well, ride I, that I tell team, you what. you're stuck well i tell you what that reminds me a little bit of a, a promo that you see that sometimes in nascar with sponsorships and and the famous one i remember uh i don't know if you guys remember it as well was from the mid 2000s when richard childress racing had sponsorship from jack daniels and one of their cars became number zero, zero seven, seven. Yeah. <laughs> old number seven yeah, there it was I'm, and it looked amazing yeah, you gotta say i'm pretty sure most fans are familiar with that car when it finished the daytona 500 upside down and <laughs> upside on fire, down on fire. <laughs> Just the most Hollywood ending ever. It was astonishing. Um, Lawrence Vantor my... totally copped that ending at Macau's yeah. <laughs> rip-off last week. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, God, you're slaying me, man. Um, uh, our choice for numbers. Uh, I don't know. Like, uh, well, given my, my Twitter NASCAR handle is Lewis Evolution... 23, that pretty much gives mine away. <laughs> yeah, like, if there's any cool stories behind them, you can share them here, or if you just think they're cool. Like, my two choices mainly are... Um, well, in my NASCAR Heat Evolution career mode, I use number 36 because there's a really small number of numbers you can choose. And I like that because it was, um, uh, it was the year my, my grandfather was born, uh, who's sadly not uh, no longer with us. So that's a little tribute I do. And the other one's number 84 because that's the year my parents met. Oh. And I think it's quite cool. And I like the fact that 84 doesn't have like a famous connotation to a legendary driver. So both of those numbers are kind of like the only guy I think of with like 36, Ken Schrader. Great driver, but like... You know, maybe Ernie Irvin as well. You know what I mean? So there's 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 a legacy to be built in there. It's yep. not like, oh, my number's 48. Oh. <laughs> so what about your guys' choices? Ooh. Okay. Do you I, have a story behind 23, um, by the way, Lewis? No, simply my, I was born on the 23rd of August. So I've, I've always gone with 23. Oh, okay. See, it's weird. I, I went through that as well. And I was like, I didn't really like 92 or 27 or, well, three was kind of done already but I, I don't know i wasn't feeling 27 quite as much but still i like that though i'm gonna be feeling 27 me next hand. month um but i think <laughs> um i would go with uh number 64 just because i played a lot of nintendo 64 <laughs> that's a great oh. reason yes and w would you have like a car design with the number in like 8-bit pixel art oh my goodness i i don't even know um, oh, I want to see like a, a car done like the. Um, I used to paint like, like my own cars for NASCAR Racing 2003 season back really? when that was like brand new. Yeah, and I always oh put number God. 64 on them. Yes, well, like you know the Hatsune Miku uh, team in Super GT. This me and RJ are just going to go off on a tangent here. Don't mind us. You know the Hatsune Miku team. I'd love to see you have a car like that with like manga artwork and the numbers, but all in pixel art. Oh my goodness! Like eight sixteen bit style, like. The only way to complete that car would be to have like a chip tune version of the Sonic the Hedgehog 2 soundtrack playing out of it. <laughs> Wonderful. And I know a friend of mine who does DJ like chip tune stuff and he does like he uses like circuit broken like Game Boys and stuff to DJ and it's the most amazing stuff. It sounds awesome. So, King, 
your numbers up. Okay, I, I think I would have to go with number four because uh, I like I was born on August twelfth, and I already like um, twelve or eight, but you know, twelve minus eight is four. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm, and also in no in Roman numerals because. Nico Rosberg's number is six, and he has six in Roman numerals on his helmet. The opposite of that would be four. Uh, I'm also, you know, growing up in the Bronx, you're a bi- you're gonna be a big Yankees fan, and the Yankee that's well known <laughs> for wearing the number four was Lou Gehrig. I was just about to say this is a fucking <laughs> Lou Gehrig tribute. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it works, man. It makes yeah, it sense. Works. I like that. That's a. That's a cool story. I like that. So I hope that answers your question well, Brian. Um, Nathan Green, I, I really I do like this question. I, I want to give it a little bit of thought. If you're trying to get someone into various categories, the ones he lists are Formula One, IndyCar, MotoGP, Stroke Superbikes, NASCAR, touring cars, GT cars, sports cars, Enduro racing, blah, 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 blah. Um, what races from each category or from whatever category you were trying to get them into would you choose and why? So but basically, Great what question. races would you show to a non-fan to sell them? Like, for me, the supercars one is both obvious and not, because my choice would be the 2014 Bathurst 1000, because I honestly believe it's one of the best motor races of the last decade anywhere. But it is eight hours, so it's not exactly a one-sitting job to watch the race. Yeah. Um, in terms of... Uh, uh, this is, I mean, this is a good one. Is anything coming out for you? Like, what about F1 races? I mean, Canada 2011 suffers the same sort of problem. I, I would have to say 2012 would be yeah. my I would say a good shout. I would say, like, for any sport, like any motorsport you, you show, you have to show, it kind of have to has to be all-encompassing. It has to be a good race, obviously, but it has to also yep. show some of the negative features of that sport, just so you know, mm. they go in knowing completely what the sport's about. Like, for F1, yeah. I would probably pick the most recent race, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, because <laughs> cause yeah. it shows everything that F1 is, everything that you should expect, you should expect that dirty air should be a feature, that that it's hard to overtake. Yeah. But you could still get good stories from that and good racing from that. Mm. It's like, I think for NASCAR, one of my picks would be the 2007 Daytona 500. Yeah. Biggest race of the, the entire year. You know, a lot of pacing in the middle. It wasn't an exciting race for the middle part, but that's typical Daytona and that's typical quite a few NASCAR races. It, they are genuinely very long. They're the longest racing uh, races in the world where there's only one driver behind the wheel. Yeah, and the 2007 um, 500 has a Jack Daniels car upside down on fire. It does. It has the ultimate Hollywood finish. It's just <laughs> remarkable. Um, so, and I love the stories. One thing I love about Motorsport is the stories that happen within. So I love the stories being told. That's why I want to do a whole, like, John Boyce, pretty good style video on the 2014 Bathurst 1000 because the stories alone in that fascinate me. And it's, like, worthy of an epic. It's, like, worthy of a Rush-type film. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Right. Just on that race. So, um... British touring cars. That's what I'm thinking about. Uh, RJ, you might be able to do something for me here. If I'm getting into Super GT, what races would you recommend I watch? Oh, goodness. Um, in all on- <laughs> How long have we got? How long have we got? I would start by just watching the entire 2016 season from start to finish because every race is at least four stars. Not all of them are five, but there are definitely some four stars up and down the grid. Wow. If I had to pick one from IndyCar... <clears throat> Oh, goodness. There are so many just from this year <laughs> this alone. This year's Indy 500 this is a good shout. This year's Indy 500 is a good shout. 
Also, this year's race at Fort Worth, Texas. Sorry, Dre. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. And also. Yes. No, seriously. One of the best oval races of the last five years. And the 2015 and 2016 Indy Grand Prix at Alabama. And I'm not just saying that yes. because I was at both races. I am only partially <laughs> seeing that because I was at both races and they were fun. No, I believe you on both of them. I, I thought they were really good. Um, there's some there's some good stuff. I tell you what, was it this year's 24 Hours of Daytona where you had battles in almost every class yeah. and the Corvettes went to war? Yeah, yeah. No, that if you're getting into endurance racing, that's a good start to have. Again, not exactly a, a, a one sitting. And I guess, um, no, I tell you what, the 2014 Le Mans a good shout. 2011 probably the best one just if you talk watch, about endurance just racing. Watch Truth in 24, though, do expect it to be heavily biased from the Audi side. Yeah. History is written by the winners, and Audi won a lot <laughs> in sports car racing, including that one, but no. And they kind of they funded won. that documentary, so... <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was down to that. And you've got Jason Statham narrating, so you can't argue with Jason Statham. Um, I'm just thinking of one for British touring cars. Uh, I think there may have been a few this year that were absolute... But no, I've got it. Uh, Donington Race 3 2015. That was the race. I don't know if you guys saw much of this. This was the one where I believe it was then rookie Josh Cook in the Chevrolet up against Aaron Smith in the in the VW, one of the championship leading VWs. The race itself was amazing. There was battles up and down the field. And then the signature moment of that race was when both of them knocked each other off at the Craner Curves, the, one of the fastest sets of corners in British motorsport, and they just straight line through the grass at 120 miles an hour. <laughs> Somehow do not wipe out 10 cars re, rejoining the grid. Both save it, and the lead changes hands about three times in half a lap. <laughs> the, the whole race front to back was fucking epic. So that's a really good one. I'd, I'd say watch that one. Of course, being a touring car race, it was about 25 minutes. So really good stuff. Oh, and one <laughs> last one for Formula E, last year's race at Punta del Este. <laughs> Yes, that's a good shout. Lewis, you got any suggestions? Uh, MotoGP, the 2015 Australian Grand Prix at Phillip Island is the one oh, that I, that oh, I suggested. God, I mean, yeah. there, were, there were two epic five-star races last season. There was that one and Mizano. Um, but Mizano is not your sort of prototypical MotoGP race, and it was a wacky flag-to-flag mm. race. Um, the Australian Grand Prix <laughs> was almost just sort of pure balls out race between four of the best riders <sighs> in the world awesome. Valentino Rossi Matt Marquez uh, Jorge Lorenzo and Andrea Iannone um, basically went all out for, for 29 laps Lorenzo looked to have it in the bag Marquez pulled out the fastest lap of the race on the final lap to beat him uh, one thing I would promise MotoGP fans though if you're getting new to the sport and you watch that race Andrea Iannone does not twat a seagull in every race it's just that <laughs> one um, but uh, the, other, the other suggestion I would make any Moto3 race at Mugello um, I would encourage you to yes. watch this season had a 22 bike leading group um, with a four <laughs> wide photo finish won by Brad Binder um, Moto3 around Mugello is must watch in that it's a slipstream fest it is absolutely fantastic and that is kind of what Moto3 is all about so if I was going to encourage anyone to get into motorcycle racing if you like your pack racing any Moto3 race around <laughs> Mugello or arguably any Moto3 race anywhere um, and for the best that MotoGP can offer Phillip Island last year yeah and that's a really good shout I, I tell you what I remember my memory of that race uh, I, I went back and watched it after but I was um, that exact, exact day of that Grand Prix uh, yes. Dre was actually coming with me to watch the British Superbikes at Brands Hatch and he watched it via Twitter via GIFs and yeah, clips Dre on Twitter outside his... of are you fucking kidding me out of ten? <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I remember when we met up when I picked him up from the station we were going to the track he would not stop talking about it for about half an hour. And I was like, wow, this thing. And then when I watched it after, I was like, 
He wasn't kidding. <laughs> not that I didn't believe him. He was not kidding. This thing was an epic. And it's it's such a good race, they've actually uploaded it on their YouTube channel. Yeah. It's almost like their version of the Will Ospreay versus Ricochet match from New Japan Pro Wrestling. They were like, oh, this match is, is one that's amazing and everyone around the world's talking about it. Let's put it up for free on YouTube. Let's maximize yeah. it. So let's go over to Twitter now where we are inundated, literally inundated with some questions. Uh, actually, quite a lot of questions. I've got to say, I don't want to be disingenuous about that. Um, so let's start off with uh, Shawnee F1. Uh, one for me. I'm, I'm touched. And it's not about NASCAR. Yes. Um, uh, if the podcast never existed, how often would you watch Formula One? Honestly, mm. every... I, I'd watch... It's almost like what I might be planning to do with NASCAR next year. I'd cherry pick certain races to watch. Like, I tend to watch Monaco because I quite like that race because it's, it's very unique. I make a point of watching Singapore. Again, I like that track a lot. Um... I don't know what others, really. Ones that were on terrestrial that were fairly easy to watch that I wouldn't have to hunt for totally legal sources to watch. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe... Yeah, exactly. Um, do you know what I mean? But, like, with the podcast this year, and to be fair, with Abu Dhabi, I was like, oh, well, it's for the podcast. I guess I'll watch. Well, I'm glad I watched that. So underrated, I guess that answers Underrated tip, Bahrain the last few years has been solid every year. Yeah, Bahrain yeah. under lights is, is is totally different to Bahrain during the day. That's a that's a good shout actually. I like that one. Um, he also asked, which F one and IndyCar drivers are similar to each other? Ooh, do do I want to say my boys Pagano and Rossford? <laughs> it's not entirely unfair. It's not inaccurate in any way. Carlos Sainz and Powers, Lewis Carlos Hamilton. Sainz and Elio Ma- Castro Neves, Team Magnificent Hair. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, fair, fair enough. Um, what else is there? Will Stevens and Jack Hawksworth for the bands. <laughs> damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Jolin Palmer uh, and, and Max Chilton. Oh no. <laughs> Well, now, I don't, I don't think Jolian Palmer is as well-versed as uh, short oval master Matt Chilton. That's true. That's <laughs> true, true. Um, oh, we have some more questions here as well. Uh, Brian Shadowwolf has been contributing a lot to the podcast recently. Good to have you along, buddy. Uh, in your opinion, will Felipe Nazza get a seat in 2017? I assume he means an F1. Ooh, probably not. It's looking very, very unlikely, which is... I was going to say, isn't it only the manor seats that are up for grabs now? And given they lost out in the constructors battle, they'll be paid driver city, won't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Nazza's basically... <laughs> oh, I would... I, 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 Formula I, One works just society, one. yes, because I've been one of the few promote, few consistent promoters he's had in the last couple of years. But man, now that I think about it, if, if there is a seat open in IndyCar and he has enough scratch for it, go for it. Just yeah, go you're, for it. Yeah, he's, you're he's Brazilian. got some ties in North America anyway. You're Brazilian, you're going to be instantaneously loved by everyone. <laughs> so I mean it's uh, like I, I I hate to say it, I think Nazar's the, the the problem is the only seats left now am I correct on the manor ones yes. and like I say they are going to be pay driver central given that they'll need that money they're not going to get any constructor money so his other question is uh, if McLaren create a failure of a car for 2017 will Alonso leave and if he does will Button be reeled back in yeah Ooh. this is kind of a make or break season for Alonso and I don't think he's gonna sit through an- yet another mm. year of just making up the numbers I mean he's had to w- he's had to have people this year telling him he should retire 
Granted, Alonzo finished top 10 in the championship, but that shouldn't be something that you go, wow, that's incredible at. Fernando Alonso, Fernando Alonso finished top 10, guys. And, and he said that his form has been better than the two years he's won the title. Now he just needs a car that, that can that demonstrate that. just says more that. about how crap the car has been lately, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's... Yeah, I... Hmm... I'm not sure. I think Button's going to enjoy going elsewhere yeah. far too Button much. Like a guy so on maybe who's already mentally checked out of Formula One. Yeah, like Dre joked about this at the time when he announced his sabbatical. This is going to turn out like the Mika Hakkinen sabbatical, as in the one that never never yeah. ends. Maybe the one where he goes to DTM, <laughs> possibly. But um, so we have an interesting kind of um, question here from Rhino GT4, uh, common listener to the podcast. He's actually turning to fictional motorsport. Uh, he actually says, to turn away from F1 for a second, thank you, we've talked about that rather a lot, which team would you rather see IRL? Team Forza, brackets, M. Ross, C.J. Davis, and Asasaki, or Team Raven West from Grid? Mario, Ra I'm gonna go Mario Rossi, I'm giving him like a full first name. Mario Rossi is a damn dirty driver. <laughs> <laughs> He'll just like fuck that guy in a game that doesn't exist. I'd take Raven West, to be honest with you, just because of their dark history from Tokyo Race Driver 1 with the uh, McCain. <laughs> Was it McCain who drives for Raven West? It is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do we remember how shit the, the shit show, the storyline from Tokyo Race Driver 1? <laughs> Where you like end up murdering some guy's dad or something? <laughs> it's like, that, why? That got weird. I'm just sat there like, please, I'm just trying to win the V8 Supercar Championship. I don't care about this other guy over here. Or, or the hilarious moment where Jason Plato walks up to you and then chews you out in a redneck accent. <laughs> Are you serious? Yes. Have you never played that no, bit? It's amazing. During the British Touring Car Championship, at the, <laughs> during the British Touring Car Championship bit at the start of the game, you're in there, an American guy. It's like a proper days of like corny days of Thunderstroke driven level like main protagonist, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm in the British Touring Car Championship. Yeah, I'm moody." And you have like this tight tight rival who's like, "Yeah, fuck you. I'm like the heel guy," um, and he's like the who's the name of the guy? in the early Pokemon games where it's like your main character, you name him like Arsfez or whatever Gary it is. Oak. And then the other guys, Gary, yeah, 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 Gary. That's it. <laughs> it's kind of like that. And then in the British touring car thing, after one race, you get this random cutscene of a guy in Vauxhall Motorsport overalls walking up to you with his helmet on and start shouting at you in a redneck accent. You're like, is that supposed to be, that's, that's Jason Plato's overalls. <laughs> okay. So I, I right, take well, it, even like, that is Yvonne Muller, which is even more surreal. It's like Jason Plato's overalls, but with Ward Burton's voice is what I'm imagining in my head, and I want this more than anything. Actually, it's more like it's more like I don't know. It's more like Sterling Marlin or something. That that's also no, no, acceptable. Yeah. Oh man, he doesn't quite go as far as calling him a bug-eyed dummy, <laughs> but it's not far off. Um, Luke Frost four. Uh, we've had a discussion similar to this recently. We're going to have it again. Name three drivers, stroke riders in any form of motorsport you dislike the most. <laughs> oh, yeah, we did this last episode. Ugh. Um, well, I, I already said Verstappen. I, I don't like his attitude, but that, there's time to change. Like, I never used to like Carl Busch in NASCAR, but again, he's kind of come through a, a, a 360 uh, rotation. Like, it, yeah, for me, it's changed within the week. It's back to being Hamilton. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hamilton will be one of mine as well. <laughs> to be honest, after last year, Valentino Rossi's up there for me. I'm not a fan. I know that's just, there's going to be men with like flaming torches outside my house now, but don't at me. <laughs> like, I'm team Marcus, yeah, baby. For me, for me, I, I, Lewis Hamilton was definitely one for me. Um, 
mainly due to his attitude, if nothing else. But I'm kind of, mm. as I've got older and slightly more boring, I've kind of not so much got a dislike for I went through sort of phases when I was younger of just disliking. Mm. Like when I was younger, this is one for you here, Johnson. When I was younger, sort of in my teenage years, I had a really irrational dislike for Matt Neal, uh, a British touring car thing. <laughs> oh, uh, yes. I, I, because yeah. in, in, that, in that sort of period when uh, ITV first started showing it live, the main reason I sort of started watching it was because of Jason Plato, uh, who was kind of like the celebrity <laughs> of, the, of yep. the grid. And of course, Matt Neal was yep. his arch rival of that time. Um, and I, yeah, I still yeah, remember yeah. a race in, I think it was 2005 at Knock Hill, where Ivan Muller was backing everyone up and Plato basically tailgated Matt Neal. I remember Matt that, Neal after yeah. the race called him, I quote, an absolute pig for taking Matt Neal out of the race, oh. um, which was hilarious. Yeah. And I still have not forgiven Matt Neal for his blatant driving as a fourth Vauxhall driver at Thruxton to screw Plato out of the championship that day on the final round, <laughs> where Jason Plato or Jason Baked Potato, as Top Gear were calling him after he'd had that, <laughs> that fire in a, in a fifth gear test, uh, was trying to win the championship the Caparo, for Sayat. Yeah. Matt Neal was driving for, for uh, Honda at the time, for Team Dynamics, yet he'd signed for Vauxhall for the next season. Plato was up against, and he Plato was up against Giovinardi, a Vauxhall driver in the championship. Matt Neal mm. started waving Vauxhalls through and then blocked Plato. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah. If, you, if you're a bit, like, not keen on the tactics you saw in the F1 this weekend, don't ever watch British Touring Cars. <laughs> and then cars. Matt Neal did it, and Matt Neal did it again what, at Brands when he was trying to help Giovinardi beat Turkington to the title as well. I remember that. Oh, there's a guy I don't like, Fabrizio Giovinardi. Oh, wow. Never a fan of his. I always thought he was vastly overrated. It was hilarious when he and Alan Menu came back in 2014 as like the two legends returning. I'm so glad Menu got the better of him because Menu's like a childhood idol of mine, like one of the greatest touring car drivers ever. And I was like, please beat Giovinardi, please. <laughs> I know you're probably not going to be that good in the grand scheme of things because you're like over 50 now and you've retired for like a couple of years. So just beat Giovinardi and he did. I didn't used to like Gordon Shedden. Not going to lie, I thought I was. Uh, I think the first time I saw Shedden, he caused a massive pile up by dive bombing the field five wide into turn one at Croft. And I was like, who the fuck is this idiot? <laughs> and then I was like, it's years later, now, like, what is it, two, three championships down the line? I'm like, okay, now he is probably the best of our current generation. So he's not bad. But um, I don't know. I think a lot of us love the sport. We don't really have that many yeah. dislikes because we kind of rise above it. Like, we rise above <laughs> yeah, hate. It's, like, it's like the drivers I hate was probably like, because I was a kid and irrational, and it's mm, like yeah. I like the I liked who they were like driving against. Like 2007, mm. 2008, I didn't like Vettel. Like I'm gonna be honest, <laughs> Dre. Yeah. I know you're listening to this. 2007, 2008, I didn't like oh. Vettel. <laughs> oh no, I tell you what, that's just reminding me. Not a fan of Jamie Winker because, <laughs> like, like I say, he's like the Lewis Hamilton of, of V8 supercars. So stinkingly talented, and yet such an ass when he wants to be. I'm just like Jamie. Just when I was liking you a bit no don't do this and then him being the dominant champion as well so now my boy's in the same car as him and might be about to beat him yeah. the title I'm not nervous about yeah, that I also <laughs> strongly dislike Ayrton Senna but I don't think we're supposed to speak ill of the dead Ayrton Senna to Brazil I mean yeah no we best no. not after that that no, segment no, no. from a few weeks back so instead let's move on to uh, who said Romo which he doesn't have a question about robotic racing because Robo Matt, Race sorry, is kind that? of like gone down the toilet, but, but, but yeah. What's that? But, no, hang on. Oh, I am just getting a call. 
It, hell has indeed frozen over. <laughs> Who said Roma is not asking a question about robotic? I think it's because he's been blocked by Dre or something. <laughs> Dre's just had, just had enough of his shit. Um, but he does ask an interesting question. How would the current F1 lineup do in the Indy 500? Mm. Bit of a weird question given that we, none of the F1 drivers currently have oval experience. Ooh, but, but, but we can dig to the well. Nico Hulkenberg has driven with Nick Tandy, who is an aficionado of oval racing, so he can get that training <laughs> and immediately training. rise up to the front. Sergio Perez's brother oh Antonio has raced in NASCAR Mexico. So um Ooh. he's uh hang on, so Team Boys. Yeah, Team Boys could be a factor. <laughs> yeah. Daniel Ricardo <laughs> yes. picked the number three and styled it in the style of Dale Earnhardt. And I yeah, and I'm a also, big fan. He wants to do Xfinity series racing as well, doesn't yes. he? Yes. And so does Grosjean. Romain yeah. Grosjean would be a good shout. Esteban Gutierrez <laughs> would probably be a good shout. Um Vettel's a really Ste- Vettel's oh. a really, really quick learner, and that's scary. <laughs> Oh, goodness, yeah. Jeez. Who who now wants to see, like, Will Power versus Scott Dixon versus Sebastian Vettel for the Indy 500 win next year? (laughs) Hashtag hashtag make Indy a world championship race again. Yes, this needs to happen now. We need to see this fantasy warfare made real. (laughs) Hang on. Where have I heard that before? Um, Give me 90 seconds to remember. Um, Best 90 seconds of my life. Don't at me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> We're such marks. Anyway, uh, Joshua Sutil includes us in uh, a, a tweet he sent earlier, which is, give me your unpopular F1 2017 predictions. Here's one, McLaren to win a race and Mercedes to still win both championships. <clears throat> uh, well, I think the first one's just a statement. Think, well, the second one's just a statement of fact. I think my unpopular opinion, Renault, at least one car in the points every race. Uh, hmm. What about my unpopular opinion? Verstappen to be third in the points next year. Ooh, yeah, that's that. That's really unpopular. I, I don't know if that's <laughs> so, unpopular with I me. Don't know if that's so much an unpopular opinion as so much something you don't want to have happen. <laughs> I'm predicting it, so I hope it doesn't happen. Um, I think honestly, 2017 could be a bounce back year for Sauber. If all the financial, if all the finances come into place and if they've got like the, it seems like they're hiring all the right people at all the right time and it, they could bounce back into the top eight. I'm honestly also expecting kind of a sophomore slump for Haas in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I, I think people are expecting them to kick on more than they will. Yeah. Uh, and for especially with the driver line changing. The second changing. race weekend in a row, Toto Wolf has been seen, you know, negotiating with Manisha Keltenborg. <laughs> it's yeah, it's like, it's pretty much Pascal Verlan's going to be at Sauber next year. It's like more of oh, the case, baby. what's Sauber going to get in return? <laughs> uh, my, uh, I don't Have we got any more um, predictions for no. that? I think the only one I can think is that Force India might not repeat their fourth place yeah, in the constructors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would agree with that. It's difficult. It depends what your you sort of term is on popular. Because I... <laughs> The one very unpopular prediction. I think it's uh, I think it's ones that yeah. no one wants well, to be I, real. Well, I've got one unpopular prediction. Hashtag Ask Crofty will continue. Um, so um, <laughs> I hate to bring that Bahrain to your listeners. and Baku will be better racist than Spa Manta. Yeah, highly likely. Yeah. Um, what are, no, true. What yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I kind of go with 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 Josh Sutil. I mean, I don't go as far as saying to McLaren will win a race, but I think Fernando Alonso will be on the podium next year. Um, and I, I know that'll be unpopular on this show because I listened to last week's show this morning, and I cannot tell you how much I disagreed with Jay Dre's assessment of Fernando Alonso's season. <laughs> 
could not disagree with that Well, he was the one who more. actually sided. Um, oh, I he actually now, sided with Johnny Herbert in the end. It was like Alonso should retire, and then yeah. just got flamed relentlessly. I, 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 I am, yeah. I'm one of those that is in the camp that thinks Fernando Alonso is still one of the best drivers in the world. Um, so, yeah, because uh, I think so. Yeah, I think well, he will. Without question, beyond the podium, and I think he will give Stoffel Van Dorn a bit of a hiding. Yeah, like I like I really wanted the McLaren lineup this year to be Alonso and and Stoffel just to see that that fight for an entire year, but you know, it, it seemed more like Button didn't want to go. <laughs> should he stay or should he go? Nah. Uh, we have two more here. We have two more to close out this mammoth edition. One more from Shawnee F one. Uh, one more from him, and then we'll have another question after that. Uh, and this is quite a good one. King, your historical knowledge might be tested on this one. Okay. Who do you think is the greatest driver in F1 history? I, I assume he means F1 history. To win one championship only. To win Nigel Mansell. Only one. Oh, you're, you're going Mansell. Do you know Ooh. what? I keep forgetting that Mansell only mm. won the one time. I think we all assume he was at least two or three no. times, you know? Right. Like, and he had, he had years where he could have been a multi-time champion. 86, 87 in particular oh, years yeah. where he was really really way up there at 91 he was closer than a lot of people realize yeah and then yeah. he finally did win it with um, a cheat code of a car <laughs> hey by that point i think yeah. he would take it um keke rosberg may well be in the equation because he's one of those that's like considered to be one of those who won whilst not driving the best car um is mario andretti yeah, Mario, Mario Andretti has only won one, and of course there's yeah. all that narrative and conspiracy about how he only won the championship because he got better equipment than Ronnie Peterson, and that Peterson was the quicker driver, and they were just trying to hold him down. Which mm. like makes zero sense, but like, <laughs> um, I, I I like him, but I'm not going to argue the case for James Hunt. Yeah, like uh, I, I like I like him a lot, but like I mean, there's one that's like, oh, did James Hunt deserve yeah, yeah. the 76 <laughs> title considering his rifle missed so many races? Like, imagine if Sky yeah, F1 had been around then. Jesus races and then pulled out of the finale. John Surtees deserves <laughs> yeah. a shout because he won one world championship on four on four wheels and then won a world championship oh, on two. Yeah. Yeah, yep. like oh, let's see. I pr- Mike Hawthorne. Yeah, Hawthorne's in there. If if <laughs> oh, like I I feel like I'm the most unpopular opinion yeah. by saying like Mike Hawthorne is probably like my least favorite Formula One driver of all time <laughs> <laughs> because he was an absolute dick that got over a hundred people killed. But <laughs> oh yeah, we've talked about this before. The Le Mans, yeah, how he the, called the Le Mans him tragedy. Yeah, the, yeah, like he was he was infamously known as being a reckless driver mainly because he knew he was dying but yeah besides that jesus he was a fantastic like he was a fantastic talent but really reckless mm. yeah, the the uh the the uh, fanboy in me is desperate to shout jensen button um but, <laughs> i was um, waiting for you to say the, that uh, you know i love how we've gone this far and no one's mentioned to my mind one of the worst fallen world champions ever jack villeneuve <laughs> driver <laughs> one williams oh. I will say this, though. He very nearly a, did for, a Diana Ross and missed the easiest of open goals to, to win a championship in 97. <laughs> for a period of four oh years, God. Jack Villeneuve may have been legitimately one of the best drivers in the world, and then for a decade afterwards, he was just kind of forgettable. <laughs> mm. He was just kind of where, rubbish. Where like, we? whenever he turned up in NASCAR or supercars, <laughs> it was just like, here's the Villeneuve crash coming up. There he it is. He won two-thirds Ooh. of the Triple Crown in three years, and yeah. before he turned 27. Oh, yeah, and then it and just then fell never off. Won again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, like where would we, where would we put Kimmy? Yeah, 
That's what I was just thinking. Uh, Where would we put Damon I, I, Hill? I'd probably put Damon Hill ahead of him. Yeah. I don't know. Would you put Damon Hill ahead of him? Uh, no, I think Kimmy. Kimmy is almost unlucky to only have the one in that. Yeah, you know, he was. He was so so good. I in mean, especially 05, in that mid so good in 03. Yeah. Damon. Damon, in some ways, was also almost. You almost remember Damon Hill for his sort of performances when he wasn't a champion, like his spa win and his nearly Hungary win. Um, yeah, like I mean, man, like to be, we all know what happened in '94, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. '96. To be honest, a forgettable season. <laughs> To be honest, like yeah. Kimmy and Damon are like on opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to careers because Kimmy was one of the least experienced, youngest drivers to ever get into F1. And Damon Hill's, I think, one of the oldest modern rookies the sports has ever had. Yeah, there have mm. only been like wow. a handful of rookies that have come in after the age of 30 after him. Alan McNish had a forgettable year at Toyota. We're not talking about UGE Day at Super Aguri because we don't <laughs> want to think about bad things. Uh, same for Andre Lauder at Caterham, who really should have deserved that Jaguar drive in 2003. But, but no, we just can't it. have nice can things, I, can we, Ford? Can I make a pitch for? Can I make a pitch for a best um, one-time champion, Jochen Rind? Yeah, Jochen Rind. Yeah, yeah, Rind's a good one. So I, I think we've. We've gone through a lot of candidates there. And I think we went through uh, yeah, all, we of have just named all of them except for and ranked them. Yeah, except for... The very first yeah, one, Nino, yeah. I was waiting for King to drop yeah, that like, one. Uh, Nino Farina is one that we didn't mention. Another one we didn't mention, Phil Hill. Yes. Another yeah, American yeah, yeah. champion whose title is constantly devalued in comparison to their teammates for bullshit for, reasons. Yeah, cause his because his teammate reasons. died. Like, right. <laughs> like, yeah, he okay. totally could have prevented that. Like... <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. We now have the last question of tonight's show. This is this is a fun one to end on. It's not a shag marry kill, don't worry. Okay, but thank goodness. It is button underscore MK Evan Byrne challenging us to make up the ultimate Sky F1 conspiracy theory for how Rosberg won the championship. Oh, I have to mention Go. one conspiracy theory I got uh, on Twitter. Who was it from? I think it was who said Romo. Who said what if what if Sky broadcasted like an alternate version of the race to where where Lewis where where Lewis lost the championship just to rile up fans for people to sign up to Sky next year. <laughs> That's quite a good one. Uh, I will share my own that um, that obviously Lewis Hamilton deserved the championship more because if you look at the races that the two drivers won, Nico Rosberg has only padded his uh, resume with wins at boring, non-traditional venues at places where they don't get F1, like Shanghai and Baku <laughs> and Sochi, whereas Lewis Hamilton is one of more of the true traditional venues of Formula One, like Silverstone, Monza. No, he didn't win in Monza. He Actually, he didn't win. He didn't win Monza. <laughs> He won Montreal, he won Interlagos, and that and those races should equal extra points, and therefore Lewis should be world champion because he has won at the more of the venues that mean the that represent the heart and the soul of Formula One. Though I have a really unpopular opinion. I feel like F1 should give bonus points for having a massive margin of victory over the guy in second place. So you want it to be like Neve Speed Pro Street, where you get a bonus for dominating your opponents. Yeah, yeah. So, like, if you win by, like, 10 seconds, you get one extra point. It's <laughs> not a bad shout, actually, although it'll favor the OP teams even more. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, 
Lewis, you got um, any ones? Well, I'm expecting to turn on the Sky Sports app or the Sky Sports news channel tomorrow to see that the FIA have decided to retrospectively bring in the medals uh, system to decide its champion. <laughs> Therefore, giving Lewis Hamilton the 2016 World Championship by 10 wins to nine. <laughs> That's not a bad one. <laughs> Oh, uh, I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of something outlandish because at this point any sort of bollocks <laughs> with, with, with Sky won't it? Or just, like, just, just paraphrase just take a, an Alex Jones rant and change <laughs> some of the words around <laughs> and make it about F1 there's carcinogens in the water okay the government are not telling you this the government is not uh, telling sounded- you that Nico Rosberg's car is filled with fuel additives that were illegal <laughs> And his, the fuel in his car can melt steel beams. <laughs> it's like I'm Nico- a pioneer. I'm a racing driver. And I'm coming. Yeah, N- Nico Rosberg was disqualified after his wife Vivian was uh, illegally entered the garage as an unauthorized member of Mercedes team personnel. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, due to not returning his car to part firm after the race, Nick Rosberg has been handed a 10-second post-race penalty. <laughs> Meaning that Lewis Hamilton is a world champion. <laughs> Meaning that is the thing. Uh, I'm trying to think of one to end this one, and I'm like, no, they already did that one. <laughs> try not to, try not uh, to do an Alex Jones and actually just rip off my shirt and plug some bullshit multivitamin. And then, okay. and then leave America in the state that it's going to be in for the next four years. don't just storm someone's interview and just say you were invited here. <laughs> I just be like, I, oh man, I don't even know. Um, just like somewhere in the back of the garage after Malaysia, Hamilton was actually there with a meeting with just the video of his engine blowing going slowly and him just pointing back and to the left. <laughs> back and to the left. Back and to the left. Or maybe after Barcelona, you know, what was that story a few years back when somebody, he like stormed down to Red Bull's garage and was like, please give me a contract now. Yeah, he ran up to Christian Horner and said he wanted to race at Red Bull during the Vettel years. Also, do you want a piece of entertaining Formula 1 news to end on? Uh, Yes. shortlist for the 2016 sports personality of the year award has just been released lewis hamilton does not make the shortlist the final ignominy the final insult (laughs) to a miserable to be fair this was an olympic year most of the people on that list are olympians andy murray and and gareth bale (laughs) yeah it's andy murray and some other people uh, including my uh, future wife, Laura Trot. Um, <laughs> the restraining order's been lifted, yeah, you're, right? you're her future second husband somehow. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, the restraining order's been lifted, but she is now married to Jason Kenny, so that whoa, presents whoa, its own whoa. issues. Half of all marriages end in divorce. There's hope. There's hope. <laughs> That's so Everyone with two hope. hands has a fighting chance. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I think that's a good place to tonight. Who'd have thought James Ellsworth would symbolise everything good about Formula One this year and indeed this podcast? So it's been a pleasure sitting down and chilling with you guys tonight uh, once again. Dre hopefully should be back very soon. We'll have our wrap up of the entire F1 season and we have some special shows coming your way over the off season, including an end of season awards show and awards gala. We'll all be up in uh, dressed in our black tie do's in our suits and tuxedos ready for such awards as worst helmet and coldest stupid, take uh, of the year. Be- <laughs> coldest take of the year and of course the official unveiling of the Scotty award for best dive bomb. Um, 
which may as well be won by Scott McLaughlin himself in its inaugural year. But we'll have more of that as well. We also have some uh, additional funky things going on over the off-season, including maybe some Let's Watches of famous uh, motorsport films. Before you ask, yes, Driven is the first one on the list. (laughs) We're just going to get that one out of the way first. because yeah, Just rip the band-aid right off. <laughs> oh, baby. Yep. Street racing indie cars. That's going to be a fun one. But for now, let's uh, let's lock it down and sign this one off. Uh, this has been myself, Adam Johnson, and Ryan Eric King, who's off to continue his celebrations. Yes. They will last long into the winter, I feel, for his boy hath become a man. Yes. And he deserved it every step both of the my, way. Don't let anyone at Both my gone. boys became men this year. Yeah, Brad Binder as well. Eh? <laughs> it's a good shout. And it could be the hat trick as well, because Shane Van Gisbergen, I think the title deciders next weekend, maybe. Yeah. It's not far away, I know that. So another boy could become a man this year. That could be emotional scenes. So it's been Adam Johnson and Brian King, as well as RJ O'Connell and Lewis Sutter. It'd be an absolute pleasure to have you guys along. You know you're welcome here anytime. It's been awesome having you along, guys. Once again, thank you absolute very much. Pleasure. Yeah, no problem. So, I'm glad to drive this thing into the trees once again, like a novice <laughs> rally player tackling a Group B Lancio 37. Wait, have you watched my dirt rally career? Mate? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm over my shoulder as I play through career mode, man. <laughs> so... One last reminder, of course, you can find uh, your main sources for the podcast are on SoundCloud uh, at Motorsport 101. And if you search for us on iTunes as well, you can subscribe to us on there. We are also on Stitcher and on TuneIn and on a multitude of other podcast apps, including the official Xbox One podcast app. You want to listen to us while you're roaming Australia in Forza Horizon or roaming the high banks of Daytona in NASCAR Heat Evolution or doing your Max Verstappen impression in F1 2016. You can listen to us that way. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias, making the internet uh, on facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101, twitter.com forward slash motorsport underscore 101. Don't forget the underscore. It's very important. Uh, our individual Twitters as well. Myself at AJ underscore Bomber Sports. That's for racing things. I have another Twitter for stuff other than racing, but you don't care about that, do you? Um, Ryan is at Ryan Eric King. That's 1K and then another for King. So uh, that's that's... <laughs> Just needlessly complicated, I think. Um, but like, and we also have at RJ O'Connell. Yes, that's that's, that's, that's my, straight that, up. And also, yes, that's my garbage account. <laughs> actually, my, yes, and also tell the people where they can find you. Also, Come also, on, also yourself, at supergtworld.wordpress wordpress.com wordpress. I am I am not even drunk. <laughs> wordpress. WordPress. <laughs> WordPress. And at Super GT World on Twitter. We are kind of in the off yes. season now. It's just the yep. uh it's just the manufacturer festivals to get through and then I'm thinking of some off season content to deliver because let's face it, we'll probably need it. Man, I I'm I'm willing to help out over there. We've already talked about like some sort of Pacific Racing Alliance over there with my love of the V8 supercars, so watch this space on that one. Lewis, as I understand it, Bike Live is nearing its conclusion for season was season, it three yeah, now? How frightening is that? Season three. Yeah, um, yeah Dre and Bex have just yet. But no, if you, if you want to find me on Twitter at Lewis Sutterby23, um Bex, if you want to follow her, um Lowe's brother uh, Stalkings, it's at Beck underscore J93. Um and yes, it's our final bike live of the season this Friday so unless you're a Patreon back and you got this early by the time you're listening to the end of this show so by the time you're hearing my voice now Bike Live will be probably about to go online at 8pm on Friday night so uh, yeah head over to Downforce Radio to check that out it is our Bike Live Awards show um, which is always one of our favourite shows to record over the course of the year 
Um, nine awards to go through, including the Blonde Moment of the Year, the Loser of the Year, and the Rider of the Year, <laughs> of course, the uh, the Grand Award, which we'll be handing out. It's a tricky show because it hinges entirely on myself, Dre and Bex, agreeing on something. Uh, which, which we you never, never do. do. So, um, yeah, clear <laughs> some uh, space, some storage space on your phone for that one because it may take a while. <laughs> <laughs> It's gonna be it's gonna be a roidy magoo of shows. It's gonna be a lot of fun as well. So there's all the details. That's about everything for tonight's loaded episode of Motorsport 101. From Adam Johnson, from Ryan Eric King, from RJ O'Connell, from Lewis Sutterby, and of course from Andre Harrison, who's stuck over in William Hill somewhere in West London. That's it for episode 68 Motorsport 101, and we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Bye. Like I'm not really you are the way